Nobody puts baby in a corner. You talking to me? You talking to me? To a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> this is God. I told you I was hot tonight. Uh, excuse me, miss. Do you think it might be possible to turn that music down so maybe a couple of the boys could talk? Your hand is staining my window. You just put the law in my hands, and I'm going to break your heart with it. What kind of beer? Now that I've met you, would you object to never seeing me again? What? Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Enough, I get the point. Hello, and welcome back to Movies for Life. Uh, my name's Brian Kuyper. And I am Michelle Egan. Welcome back, everybody. Nice to be here. And we are, um, well, first of all, before we get into that, I wanted to say thank you, everyone. <laughs> I mean, Michelle's laughing at me because I'm paranoid about <laughs> this, and she's like, it's fine. And I'm like, okay, so we've had a little bit of trouble getting my sound to be as great as good as it can possibly be so i'm really trying to key that in and get it really dialed in and it's still it's still a little iffy so thank you everyone for being patient (laughs) with me as i get that figured (laughs) out and then it'll be set in stone and and it'll be less work for michelle which (laughs) which i'm which i'm hoping will be really soon yes (laughs) i'm like i told you it's the growing it is the growing pains of starting something new. We're going to get it eventually. Don't feel bad. It's fine. Okay. No one cares. I, as long as we're doing a great show, which I think we are. I think we are. And off of that, I want to say, hey, everyone, thank you for continuing to support the show. And um, we've been getting a lot of interaction and I think a lot of a lot of love. We've Our Twitter is getting a lot of people following us and we appreciate that we haven't been super active on our twitter page yet um we're sort of yeah we should probably be better at that yeah um i i've been trying to throw out things hey tell us your favorite movie you know of this category and this and that but i haven't been doing that super well (laughs) but and then um, i just totally forget about it completely yeah (laughs) like oh yeah whenever i see you post something it's like oh yeah i should probably be doing stuff like that yeah so yes, we'll, thank you to everybody for the kind words. Yeah, it's been yeah. so awesome. Yeah, the ratings and reviews have been have uh, really meant a lot. Every single one of them. Really grateful t- for everyone who's been doing that. Yeah. And uh, today we have a really cool topic. I think this is a this is an interesting sort of variation on a theme. So our yeah. theme this week is not really comic book movies like. Like not really in, in, in parentheses, comic book <laughs> movies. Because we're dealing with two films that deal with the creation of comic books, but with very different twists on that. I'm bringing to the table from 2003, American Splendor. And for me, it's going to be 2017's Professor Marston and the Wonder Women. So neither of us had seen each other's movie this time. This is a first time. Yeah, I finally brought a new one for you. Yeah, so this is very cool. Um, so neither of us had, had seen each other's movie. First time watch of Professor Marston, and wow, great movie. Same here. I loved American Splinter. This is going to be a great, great talk about both of these movies, I think. And again, we've kind of unexpectedly some, some connective tissue between the two movies. 
that I didn't really expect. I mean, besides the comic book element, first of all, I think these are the newest movies that we've talked yeah, about. Yeah, I was going to say that too. Um, so 2017. Those modern ones. Yeah. American Splendor is from 2003. Uh, so it's getting, you know, to that stage where it's a little bit older. But I think it, it doesn't, I don't hear it discussed very often anymore. And um, another thing that's I found interesting is they both have uh, female directors involved. American Splendor is co-directed by Robert Pulcini yeah. and Sherry Springer Berman. Um, they co-wrote the film. And then the other one is illness. Cancer <laughs> is involved in both movies. And I wasn't expecting that. Uh, I had almost forgotten about it in American Splendor, which is weird because it's kind of a major element it's of like the a movie. Big part. <laughs> um, I guess I get wrapped up in some of the other elements, you know, particularly the relationship between Joyce and, and uh, Harvey and some of those kinds of things and his friendships with, you know, sort of his oddball um, co-workers and stuff. Uh, so having experience with family members and friends with cancer, those things always hit me hard. <laughs> you know, um, sure. when we talk about Magnolia, that's probably going to be a, a tough conversation to be honest with you but uh so that that's an element of this of both of these movies that is really powerful and important and this might be a tough conversation for me because mine is like super personal to me about you know something that's really new in my life and i don't know if i'm gonna talk about it in the right way if i'm gonna express myself the right way but i'm gonna try <laughs> and i think i think just be unafraid to express yourself however the words sure. come i think is is important because that's valid it's that's valid to do i i think you know sometimes we get caught up on saying or doing the right thing that it's becomes difficult to express what we're really feeling so i say express what you feel and then hopefully it comes out right and if it doesn't you can say well you know i'm learning still or whatever and that's the way i yeah. that's the way i think we should all um, approach anything and be willing to give each other a little bit of space and grace as we uh, are continuing to learn some of these some of these things absolutely and i think it's interesting that we're doing this episode too like not too long after talking about superman where we both kind of expressed that not so much into comic book movies. <laughs> yeah. And yet here we are with yeah. they're not really comic book movies, but it's still in that same topic. And but yeah, these are very different than the reason we're calling them not really comic book movies is I think just not how we think of comic book movies as they are today. Right. How most of what's coming out today. In a lot of ways That's really where the, the name comes from. And in a lot of ways, right from the opening scene of uh, American Splendor, it sets itself up as the yeah. anti comic book movie. Exactly. You know? Which I love. Um so shall we just jump into just into, into American yeah. Splendor? Go. Okay, so like I said, American Splendor is uh, directed by uh, Robert Pulcini and uh, Sarah Springer Berman, written and directed by them, I should say, uh, based on the life of Harvey Picar, who appears in the film, along with his wife Joyce and some of his co-workers, as well as being played by Paul Giamatti and Hope Davis and Judah Freelander is hilarious in this oh movie. I, I, we got to <laughs> talk about Toby. Totally. And the whole movie opens with a group of trick-or-treaters 
going to a door and they're all dressed as different superheroes except for one and um says <laughs> oh it's superman and it's and it's batman and oh wow and turns to the last kid and says who are you supposed to be nobody i'm harvey picar this is like, who is harvey picar i am <laughs> And I, I just love that, you know, sort of immediately right off the bat saying, yeah, this is about a comic book, but it's not about a comic book. <laughs> um, because American Splendor itself, for those who don't know, is a underground comic uh, written by Harvey Picar. And then later um, his wife, Joyce, was involved in writing and creating it as well. And all of the characters of his life appear in this comic. It's very much based on his existence. And he, he passed away in 2010, but uh, when this movie came out, he was very much alive and was still publishing and writing American Splendor and working still as a file clerk at the Cleveland VA, which he continued to do his entire life. This movie is kind of unlike anything that... I had ever seen when I saw it for the first time. Oh yeah. It's, I've never seen a biopic like this where it's like one fourth or one half documentary where the actual subject of the biopic is in the movie, like giving interviews, talking straight to the camera. And then you have those weird scenes where they're on that, then that white stage. Yes. And sort of like the, the clutter set, of his life, you know, yeah, appearing around. Yeah, the set dressings from the movie, yeah. and then the actors and the real people being in... It was... I, but I loved it. It was like, I've never seen anything like this, but this really works. I think probably because of who you sort of learn Harvey is. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's, a, it's a meta-narrative movie, but not in a winking sort of way. You know, like a lot of... Mm like we like a lot of them are you know scream is wonderful i'm a huge fan of scream but there's a little there's a there's winking going on in that movie a lot sure you know and and that's part of the fun of that one this one doesn't do that i mean it's sort of the unvarnished reality and um i these mixtures of animation brought in um i love that the animation stuff is 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 so so great and you know it it's also though makes the movie kind of hard to discuss because it's kind of unlike anything else. It's hard to put it in a, in a context in, unless you've seen it. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a movie that has to be seen to believe, to be believed a little bit, um, or at least to be completely understood. That's one of the things that I so love about it and, and why I wish more people would see it. I know, I know a lot of people have, and it's a, um, I know Brian Sauer recently mentioned it as one of his favorites of, of the century so far. And I agree for me, it's, it's, it's up there. I had a people commenting when I was posting that I was watching this, people commented like, Oh, I love this. I watch it like once a year. So it's like one of my favorites of recent years. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it really seems to connect with people. And I, I definitely see why. Yeah. So I just want to go through some of the, some of sort of the key things that really hit me. And, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts as well, Michelle. I mean, I know this movie's new to you. I'd just love to hear how it, how it affected you. Um, but it starts out with, it sort of goes back and forth in time a little bit, even 
Um, go back to his first meeting with R. Crumb, uh, uh, Robert Crumb, uh, who is a famous cartoonist, um, Fritz the Cat. He wrote, he drew the cover for the Janis Joplin album, uh, or for Big Brother and the Holding Company. The keep on trucking uh, uh, <laughs> image from from the sixties. Uh, he's he was very famous for that. But he, um, I mean, they, there's a line in the movie that says like, "Oh, they made a movie about him too." He kind of says it, yeah, off the cuff. What movie was that? I the, didn't, it, I forgot to look that up. It is a terrific movie. In fact, it's a documentary called Crumb, and it's on the okay. Criterion Collection. One of the most interesting documentaries that I can think of off the top of my head, to be honest. It's it's very, it's filled with sort of the strange characters of his life. You know, and in this movie, you kind of see how kind of like this one. Yeah, you, in in this movie, you see kind of how how bizarre Crumb is as a as a person. Mm-hmm. Well, in Crumb, he's actually probably the most well adjusted person of his entire family, and they they uh, that's what gives that movie its power is is seeing his family interviewed and some of the stuff that they do. It's a it's a more heartbreaking movie than this one. American Splendor is you know I mean Harvey is an absolute pessimist. I mean he is an incurable pessimist. <laughs> you know no matter what and um, anything good that happens to him he's constantly like ah it's just gonna turn to shit any minute you know uh, it's just the way his character is but somehow yeah. it's a hopeful movie. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's which is which is really um, one of the things that I love about it that kind of you know sets my heart beating for this movie. So he meets uh, Crumb early on in the movie. I'll have to look look up that Crumb documentary because yeah, he definitely like interested me. I was like, I want to know more about this guy too. Definitely, so that's perfect. Definitely, do check it out. It's it's. Um, Again, it's a it's one of those movies that's really hard to describe, you know, which is which kind of makes it an excellent companion piece to this movie. Sounds like it. Yeah, so I I definitely recommend it. But um, so he he starts losing his voice. He said he goes to the doctor and immediately it's cancer, isn't it? I got cancer. No, you have a vocal nodule. Stop shouting at people, and you'll be okay. You know, and uh, um, his his wife ends up leaving him because he says it's because of his voice, but it's really because he's pretty insufferable to most people. I think Crumb comes and visits him, and he's like, he starts talking about, you know, I'm I'm tired of all the because Crumb is broken into the underground comics world, um, becomes sort of a hero uh, that movement. And he says, you know, you really open things up politically, but I think we could do more than that. The moment that strikes me so much is, and it's really the turning point of the movie, and I hadn't really thought about it, is the part where Harvey is filing just a bunch of, just has an armload of files, and and he drops them, and he's like, ah, and he picks it up, and he opens it up, and some random guy that lived in Cleveland you know, born 1921, died 1975, occupation, clerk. And he's like, yeah. this guy. I wrote that down too. Yeah. That was a big moment. And honestly, that's the moment that's on the poster. And and I hadn't really made that connection before. Oh, it is. It's, it's him. It's the turning point where he says, where he decides that 
he needs to do something of value. Um, yeah, because he sees this guy that he doesn't know, born and died in the same place, mm-hmm. had the same job as him. Yeah, yeah, that would that would kind of hit me too if I saw something like that. It's like, oh, you know, like you don't want to end up like that. Exactly, and that's sort of the core of this movie is making your mark. You know, mm-hmm. that really, you know, this is the first time I've watched this movie in my forties, and. I think when people hit 40 or so, they start to contemplate, especially men, I it seems to be anyway, just tend to contemplate that stuff a little bit more. What is my legacy? What mark am I making on the world, if any? Women have that. Too. I know, I know that, but, but you see that so often expressed in the male midlife crisis, I guess. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, I get it, yeah. you don't, you don't hear about <laughs> female midlife crisis as often, you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> that's true. So that's, yeah. that's how I mean it. I don't, I don't mean it that women don't feel that way. I mean it that men tend to express it in less healthy ways. <laughs> um, gotcha. and, and so, and so I love that. I think I think Go Harvey ahead. expresses his midlife crisis in a very healthy way in the creation of this comic book. Exactly, exactly. And I, I love that the next scene shows him in the grocery store, and this is <laughs> the old Jewish lady. The old Jewish lady is like, so, and, he, and he says, you know, he's kind of finds himself getting angry, and his animated self yeah. starts hovering over his shoulder, and he says, and he says this line. You gotta suffer in silence for the rest of your life, or are you gonna make your mark? Huh? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I love that. It's alright. You can ask the manager. Frank, I need a price check. Man, old Jewish ladies will argue forever with a cashier about anything. These glasses. You get behind them in line, and you're gonna wait forever, man. Because I couldn't marry them. So today, I mean, I'm a yid myself, and women in my family are like that, but I never got used to it. I mean, I may be cheap, but I got limits, man. Let me explain one more time. These glasses are six for two dollars. <laughs> Wake up! Your whole life's getting eaten away with this kind of crap. What kind of existence is this? Is this all a working stiff like you can expect? You're going to suffer in silence for the rest of your life, or are you going to make a mark? Huh? 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 And, that is, and that's when he heads home, and he immediately starts making a grid on a piece of paper, and like he's drawing his own comic, and, and he's writing the words and all in he there. can do is little stick horrible figures. Horrible stick figures. <laughs> that uh, he's like, I can't. Then he meets with Crumb again and says, I can't draw. And you know they're hanging out, but he's he's excited about this possibility. You know, we could what what you're doing in underground comics is amazing. You've really opened it up politically. But I think we could do more. I think there could be something. You know, just just regular guy. You know, doing. You know, just telling things like they are. And Crumb just sort of sits there and says. This is good. Do you mind if I take it home and do some sketches of it? Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> yeah, he's he right. like just 
his voice gets his, better. His voice in that moment immediately gets this better. Is a good little moment. Yeah. And and okay. And then can ahead. we just talk about like the overall idea for the comic? Yes. I I love it honestly. American Splendor is seems to be a very ironic title. Yes. Which I I love because it totally makes sense um, with um, Harvey's personality. But yeah, I had no idea about any of this. The only comics I know of are like superhero comics, right. you know, fantasies and stuff. And so that the idea that there was a an actual comic about a normal guy doing everyday stuff and dealing with everyday situations. Yes. And that he was writing it like as he was living it mm-hmm. and based off of the people in his life. It doesn't sound super exciting. <laughs> Honestly, you know, it's like, why, why would that comic, how could that work? But I mean, it's because that's something that people can relate to way more than a superhero. Yeah. And it's also because of it's something who, that they can see themselves in it. Exactly. It's also because of who Harvey is as a person, you know, yeah. because he's sort of, sort of says the things that many of us may feel, but can express or will, will not dwell on for very long. Mm-hmm. Those are like everything to him. The fact that he can't yeah. keep his house clean, you know, and, and um, just all of these different aspects of that just annoy him to no end. And things about himself. Exactly. That he's kind of looking inward on himself through these comics. Like one of my favorite little moments was when he uh, stops and looks in the mirror. Mirror, yes. And the, the comic... The comic words are um, a reliable disappointment. D- disappointment. You know, there's yeah. a reliable disappointment. And I was like, yeah, okay, I feel that. <laughs> yeah, it's really powerful stuff. I mean, because, you know, it expresses, you know, good literature in whatever form it's in, or good just creations of art. Art, media, yeah. Yeah, in whatever form they're in, you know, express something that people can't find the words to express. Mm-hmm. Whereas if someone's, exactly. someone else can speak the words that you feel but can't necessarily coalesce. And when it's done in a, in a witty and concise way like that, it's really powerful. You don't need a whole novel about mm-hmm. a guy who's depressed. And you just need those perfect little snippets of life that represent a lot more than, you know, just what... It's saying like, you know, like being annoyed with the lady at the grocery store. Like, are you really going to take this? Are you going <laughs> to? Yeah, I don't know what that means. Yeah, it's like, well, no, I get it. I get I it. Where, that, that whole, are you going to suffer in silence with all of this yeah. stuff that annoys you? You know, yeah. it's, it just brings to mind the old Emerson quote or, or uh, no, it's, it's not Emerson. It's uh, Thoreau. Most men lead lives of quiet desperation, which that works, yeah. for, for those of you who are, Familiar with Dead Poet Society, that that should be a familiar quote. I haven't seen that in forever. I haven't either. But um, I had a great teacher in, in high school who covered the existentialists, uh, the, those writers, Emerson, Thoreau, and Whitman. And Most Men Lead Lives of Quiet Desperation was one of the things that, that made an impact on me even then, you know, at 17. And it echoes much more when sort of, you're in life. high school is sort of you're like once I get out of here I'm looking forward to endless possibilities whereas you get to a certain point in life it's like 
well, I'm kind of stuck with what I've got, you know? Yeah. You look back on all those years where you had those endless possibilities and you didn't take advantage of them. Exactly. exactly. That's where the midlife crises comes in for most people. That's exactly right, you know? Yeah, so like I said, this this is this one really hits home for me more now than it ever has. So anyway, I I get it. Yeah, I, I totally love Harvey. I yeah, I saw a little bit of myself even in him too, yeah. as depressing and like like harsh to some people and negative that he is. Most of the time, like, I really like him. Exactly. As a person. I don't know if I, I don't, I think he would be a little bit insufferable to be around yes. most of the time. Because I, I can't have all that negativity around me all the time. But at the same time, just watching him through here, it is so obvious that he has a really big and good heart. That's right. For other people. And, and that's what, that's what makes it work to spend time with yeah. him. You know, to spend the 90 minutes with him of this movie is the fact that you know underneath that hard shell he's got kind of a soft chocolate center, you know? Oh, totally. Um, you can see that, like, in the, the interviews with him, in his smile, I can kind of see it. Yeah. When he's being, like, he's being, like, kind of sarcastic and stuff. He's, but he's, he's like, being pretty coy he's with them. He's a little them. smirk. He's being yeah, pretty coy with exactly. them a lot of the time, you know? It's really cute. Yeah. So, um, and then, you know, then we start, after that is when we start to really meet his co-workers. You know, Mr. Boats, you know, who's, who's that paranoid guy. <laughs> Just, he, he would, he's a conspiracy theory kind of guy, which is, you know, yeah. maybe a little, uh, at the time, that was funny. You know, the conspiracy theory guy was funny. Now it's a little bit more scary. But <laughs> no, at the but at the so time funny. it was still sort of like it was generally pretty innocuous. Um <laughs> Like doesn't he have a theory about Toby too? Right. <laughs> like why like Toby is some kind of like spy or something. Exactly. <laughs> and that it, we gotta talk about Toby. I mean yeah. Judah Freelander, um I didn't even realize it was him at first. Because you know, I, I I didn't either. I saw his name in the opening credits. I watched the whole movie and I was like, where the hell is Judah Freeland? Yeah, I know. I'm so (laughs) used to him in that trucker cap and the big, thick glasses, you know, like he is on, on 30 rock and, and even in his own standup facial hair. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, The long hair and stuff. I did not recognize him at all. Oh man. He is so funny. And then, and, and you're like, Oh, he's gotta be overdoing it. Right. You know, that's what you're thinking. That's what you're thinking when you see him on screen. He's because mm-hmm. he's like, I am a nerd, and I, <laughs> hello Harvey. You know, and just everything. You're like, this guy has got to be. He's got to be just leaning into this, exaggerating. Yeah. yeah, and I love the scene where he comes in. It's the '80s now. And says, I have given up uh, sweets for Lent. He says, and, and Harvey, and he hands him a big, big. Uh, Thing of jelly beans. Thing of jelly beans. And he goes yeah. and, and they continue the conversation. It's like I recommend the pina colada one. <laughs> <laughs> it is to me as great as Giamatti is, and Giamatti is brilliant in this movie. Judah oh God, Judah yeah. Freelander steals every scene he's in. He yeah, he steals it. Yeah, and oh, you know what the best part of the whole movie though is another one of those parts where they're on the white set. Mm-hmm. And it's the real Harvey and Toby talking. Yeah. And you can see the fake 
Yes. You can see Paul Giamatti and Judith Friendland there in the background, and Giamatti is just watching they're, they're, the two of them talk and laughing chuckling. and smiling. And, I was like, that is a perfect moment right and, there. I love it. Because they're because the real Harvey and Toby are what are they, they're talking about jelly beans again. They're talking think, about jelly beans. Is that the same yeah. where he's like yeah. And the thing is what's so that great is about such that a perfect scene. Moment. Oh god. What's so great about that scene is that's where you realize that Judah Freelander is yeah. not exaggerating in the slightest. <laughs> if anything, yeah. he's underplaying it. Um, and it's 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 pretty spot on. But it's not just That's where you get the heart of, of Harvey too, the way he talks to Toby. Mm-hmm. And in neither case is it just an imitation of these guys. The the performances by Giamatti and Freelander in particular, they're not just imitations of Harvey and, and Toby. They're they're really affectionate really developed characters they're just beautifully played yeah they get all the the mannerisms right like i love the way um giamatti has the whole like the hunchback like (laughs) pushing his neck forward and he's always scratching himself and all these things Uh, his facial expressions but then he also gets that little smile right too yeah which is perfect so yeah oh god i love both of them so much you know, I don't really agree with Toby on the whole Revenge of the Nerds. No, thing, we'll, we'll we'll talk a little that's bit. That's his. That's I, his I, thing. I don't either, but you know, it's it's. Fun. Well, I, I tend to agree with Harvey on that. It's like you know, it's 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 exactly. not real. It's not you know, you're not you know. Anyway, um, we'll we'll get we'll get to that. It's the scene after that. It was kind of a throwaway scene to me in the past. Was when he is at the bakery and he meets the sees the old college friend Alice. It's it's just one scene, and um, you can tell he's he's sort of smitten in that moment. Hoping, yeah, and and she's she talks about oh I'm just a plain old wife and mother, <laughs> you know, and and I thought you can see his face just and fall. it just drops. <laughs> it's like oh, yeah. uh, but um, damn it! But one of the things that's funny about that scene too is she sees him as like famous. You know, we've heard you know you've got this. You're published. You're, you're you're writing reviews for for jazz, which you know you love jazz and all this other stuff. And this sort of struck me as and he and he's like, no, I, I still work at the VA. I'm still a file clerk. I still have this nine to five. And that's that made me realize something as well. I mean, before I started doing some of the writing gig myself, I, I would see you know people like Jerry and. Heather Wixon and some of these others that's kind of famous, you know, it's like, Hey, they, they, they're, they've got this, they've got this gig and, and they are living my dream and all that stuff. And then I realized they, they're normal people. <laughs> they're sure. hardworking, you know, at what they do, but they also have, you know, I mean, Jerry does his full time, but I mean, he, it's um, a lot. Most of the people that I see is sort of like these, writers I respect and stuff are doing that as a side gig, you know, while they're doing their nine to five. And that's true of me. Uh, certainly. It's really hard to make a living on that. Yeah. It's, it's I totally respect anybody that can do yeah, it. Yeah. Um, it's Hats off to you. nearly impossible. I mean, you know, I'm not going to say how much each outlet I work for pays, but you know, it's definitely not enough to pay the bills, you know? Um, yeah. and it's, it's wonderful. And I love being able to, I mean, I am undeniably privileged to be able to make a little bit of money at writing, but 
the idea of making a living at it, that is, that's miraculous, frankly. So terrifying to me. Yeah, exactly. It, you know, but at the same time, no matter how much those people are, are known yeah. and how hard they work, they have the same insecurities exactly. as any, anybody. Yeah. And you know, you think that you think about even people who have achieved a great deal of fame, you hear about them having all of these, you know, every now and then some big, huge celebrity will have some kind of emotional breakdown some sort of tragedy that occurs in their own life. Um, and, and you realize we're all, we're all, we're all just people. We're all just people and we're all just fragile ultimately. Yeah. And that's, that kind of brings me, you know, that whole sequence, you know, he realized he has, he seems to have this a realization, you know, I'm lonely. I, I need, I, I want something in my life and, you know, he gives this line. She tries to make him feel better about it. It's like, oh, you're lucky to have all that alone time. I wish I could have some alone right. time, but I got to deal with my husband and my kids. And even I was watching that like, lady, no. I know. That was exactly That's not the, the right wrong thing, to, thing say to say at all. Yeah. No, that is a wrong thing to say. Yeah. You're just making him feel worse. You're making me feel worse. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's all we, it, and it's also a realization that everybody has their stresses and struggles and it leads to this line where it just shows him wandering he's like on the bridge in cleveland you know that sort of gated mm-hmm. covered bridge and and he says life seems so sweet and so sad and so hard to let go of in the end exactly yeah i loved that line and it's beautiful and that leads us to beautiful. this to the next sequence of the film which is the introduction of of joyce joyce brabner <laughs> joyce <laughs> played played so beautifully by by Hope Davis in this movie. She looks just like the real Joyce. She does. Too. You can you can we only see Joyce as she was at the time, but you can imagine like that's exactly how a younger Joyce looked. Exactly. And you know, Hope Davis is sort of, you know, you think glamorous actress and all this stuff. She's sort of she really downplays that. She wears large glasses she's she's wearing a wig that has her hair, you know, very Moppy, sort of choppy limp. hair. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and she works in a comic book store, you know, and she's like, you you gave away the last copy, you sold the last copy of American Splendor, you know, and uh, which leads her to to write to uh, Harvey to to get a new copy. And I love when he's writing the letter back to her, and and he has a piece of paper on the bedspread, and he's trying to write it, and he puts a hole through it, and then he, he there's a whole pad there, right? He literally tears, he tears a paper off of the pad, the pad that he could be writing on the bed. <laughs> I loved that. That moment. is what it's like, Harvey. And <laughs> what are you doing? I think I've said this before, but I love this whole this whole idea that I heard from Coppola in a commentary years ago. That what makes a movie great, what makes a movie truly great, is weird details. Yeah. You know, and that's one of those moments where it's like that is a great weird detail. Or <laughs> when she she sprays the WD forty <laughs> in his bathroom. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> because you know he lives in his house. He 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 just kind of lets it go. I mean, it's it's just yeah. He's she. Their first meeting is really really funny. He uh, he convinces her. They they start talking and it shows them pretty quickly 
it, it, obviously it's dilating time, you know, making it much, mm-hmm. much smaller. They go from writing letters to, to talking, talking on, the, on phone the phone regularly. Yeah. But you can imagine that it, it's happened over a long time. Yeah, exactly. And, and she says, well, I don't know if I want to meet you because of all the way the different comic, uh, the different artists draw you. I don't know what to expect because I yeah. mean, uh, Crumb draws you with a bunch of stink lines and then... <laughs> You, know, <laughs> you look like a hairy. Other ape. times you look like a you look like a young Marlon Brando. The <laughs> so, one guy draws him that way. I think she said, right? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. Um, and so when she goes and meets him at the bus station or wherever, and and that's such a great way to do it. And they I show the, the they did this scene the different animated versions of the way he's been drawn, and oh yeah, gosh. And then he comes in and says, "Hey, are you Joyce?" I want you to know right off the bat, I had a vasectomy. What's awesome yeah. is that she's not really the kind of person to get like weirded out by that. She's probably like, she doesn't even show it on her face. She's just like, okay. If there <laughs> is anyone that, I mean, it's, it's like, if there are any such thing as soulmates, you see that these two are just perfectly matched. I mean, yes. they're at each other's throats a lot of the time, but they kind of thrive on it. And, you know, they go out to dinner. He, he's looking through the menu and says, and it, it's, it's like the kind of place they wouldn't, neither of them would normally go. Um, Even though it seems I kind think, of like just a regular restaurant to me. Exactly. It but super fancy or anything. But. It's not. It's not fancy, but it's still, it, they seem like the kind of people that even there. It would they, seem they, out of place. It would seem out of place. They, they, they call, she calls it yuppie food later. Um, yeah. You know, I like his line about not wanting to eat a lot of meat ever since he got a cat. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then she says, well, I'm self-diagnosed anemic. <laughs> and so I have a lot of dietary disorders that limit me politically. <laughs> so that's why she's not a <laughs> that's vegan. That's a great line. <laughs> You immediately see that. Oh, yeah. The, you you totally see it with the two of them. Um, then she. Yeah, that's literally just one of my notes. Is just Joyce and Harvey are perfect for each exactly. other. Exactly. One of my notes. Exactly. They, they truly are. And then you know he takes her home, and his house is a mess. It's like I would have cleaned up the place, but I didn't want to give you any uh, expectations. Which I appreciate. Yeah. I appreciate his honesty in that scenario. Yeah. And, I thought that was good. And and I love that. And then she says. Can you give me a couple aspirin? Says, Why? Do you have a headache? No, but I want to avoid one. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't know if that's like a dig at him or just. <laughs> I don't know. I, think, I don't know for I, sure. I, 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 <laughs> Which is kind of great about her. I, I don't think that it is. I think that's just something she would do, honestly. Yeah. She's just like weird like that. Yeah. You know, it, does, it sounds like that in the moment, though. <laughs> and and my gosh, you know, he just they're sitting on the couch together and, and, and they kiss. Then immediately she starts getting sick and she goes and starts throwing up in the bathroom. And then just immediately says, um, by the way, I think we should skip the whole courtship thing and just get married. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is their first day. And, and he's like, what, what about moving? Do you mind moving? He's just, ah, no, nah, I find most American cities depressing in the same way. <laughs> You, you love hearing these two people who are so witty and sharp and just have no bullshit filter at all. They say what they're thinking, and normally it kind of seems like the other person agrees with them. So, yeah. They're, exactly. They're perfect for each other. They, they really are. And, you know, we find out 
really quickly, you know, Joyce gets added into the comic. She becomes a character in the comic. And then they have the the real, They then they cut to the real Joyce and Harvey sitting together. Just, yeah, I knew I was going to become a character in the comic. And uh, like, do you believe you're being treated fairly in it? It's like, she's like, eh, okay. And Harvey's like, well, I leave some of the really bad stuff out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so seeing seeing that setup in there, that you know affection they have for each other as their characters, you know, as Paul Giamatti and Hope Davis playing them, and then to see the real them have carrying on the same chemistry is just a wonderful thing. And it's not heavy handed in in that meta nature. And she's the one that like says about Harvey what like everybody's thinking. She's like, yeah, he can often be like really depressing yeah. and negative and like hard to be around. Mm-hmm. Which I thought that was interesting that she's the one that brought it up and he's just sitting there like, yeah, she's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but she puts up with me. They're, yeah, I just love them. <laughs> That's one of the things about this movie. I think it's just, it is, you know, at its core, you know, it's kind of a beautiful love story of these sure. two, these two sort of awkward souls that, that find each other. And I, I, I really like that. And then, you know, we go into the whole, they go and see the play about themselves. And, <laughs> yeah. and um, that's, that's, that's this whole meta, meta on meta on meta thing. Because you have, yeah. you have Paul Giamatti and Hope Davis watching Donald Logan, Megan <laughs> Mullally, Molly Shannon, Molly Shannon <laughs> playing them on stage. Them. Then you have commentary in the narration from the real Harvey Picar saying, <laughs> "Yes, you know, you think it's weird to see yourself in a comic book. Wait till someone makes a play about you. You know, God knows how I'm going to feel when I see this movie. That, that's a movie, so, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just like movie these layers upon layer upon layer of this meta thing that's going on. But that is what the comic book is." You know, it's sort of this meta, yeah, exactly. this meta commentary on his own life, as it is, and so yeah, it's, the style, the style of the movie really matches what the comic book was all about. That's what totally what I got from it. Exactly, exactly. You know, and then you know, you have um, Joyce falling into the depression and, and and not being able to pull herself out. She clearly wants to have a child, but hey. I already told you, I got a vasectomy. And so I told you from the very beginning. And she's she diagnoses herself as clinically depressed. And because right. I mean, that's one of the ongoing jokes of the movie is that she can she can self she can diagnose anyone's um, mental illness or whatever, you know, yeah. what just by <laughs> brief interactions with them. But then they get the call from David Letterman and he's becomes again just sort of this unlikely star of the Letterman show. He becomes a frequent guest on the show. Um, I, love the, I love the way they did that too, because they're in the green room as Hope yeah. Davis and, and Paul Giamatti. And then they cut to her watching, actual, watching the actual yeah. footage from the real show, yeah. the real Harvey Picar and David Letterman together. They knew just when to do stuff like that. In exactly. This movie. It, yeah. That was brilliant, the way that they meshed all these weird real life and fake representations, mm-hmm. you know, together. Yeah, and it's it's, it's kind of seamlessly done yeah, in, in this way that is not jarring. Um, yeah, it never feels like, oh, look, we're looking at the real Harvey? No, no it, they kind of, but I think they established that, like, right at the beginning with him mm-hmm. being on screen, being like, you know... If you're looking for like a big superhero movie, like this isn't that movie. It's sort of like the next like, level of what we talked about last week with 
Bella, watching the real Bella Lugosi movie uh-huh. on on TV, you know, with Martin Landau watching White Zombie, and it's the real clip of White Zombie, you know, with the actual yeah. Bella Lugosi in it. It's sort of taking that to sort of the umph level, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it's really effective. And yeah, they were really smart about it. They were super smart they went about, about it. putting this together. Yeah, and well, what's funny, you know, then his fame sort of rubs off on Toby a little bit, and he becomes the the uh, <laughs> MTV personality for a while. And the thing is, <laughs> I never knew any of this. I was watching MTV probably around that time. And when it feels like, well, I guess that was eighties, right? That was like the early 80s uh late 80s i think is that by, when those was happening late 80s okay maybe yeah. i wasn't but because I've never heard of any of these people before but it's it's amazing the kind of reach that they had thinking back i actually remember those clips of toby really? you know just just vaguely it, it was just one of those one of those things you know and and he has that realization when he sees toby sort of being made to make a fool of of himself on tv and all these things that that they're kind of being used by yeah. these large corporate entities as a joke, you know, even though this is just who they are. Um, and so yeah, to them, they're just being themselves, but yeah, they're definitely Toby, especially is being exploited. I think. Yes. Toby's being exploited. Harvey, you know, he's getting some out of it. Promotion. Promotion for his, for his books and things like that. Mm-hmm. But the last time he goes on Letterman, he he's like I'm done. I'm I'm I am i am not gonna be I'm not gonna be another stupid pet trick for you. But before that, I mean, uh, that's that's when we have Joyce expressing that she wants to do something important. So she goes to the Middle East to work with children, I believe, and it's it's um and you know it it brings up the thematic thing that this movie seems to really be about to me that I think anyway was. Both of them more than once say, I want to do something that matters, in whatever word, something that leaves an important mark on the world. You want to make some kind of mark, yeah. Yeah, and they talk about wanting to do something important, and um, that's such a key thing about this movie. And while she's away, that's when Harvey finds the lump. The lump. <laughs> yeah. Then they, they he goes on Letterman while she's away. And instead of... In that final appearance, instead of actually showing the clip, they show they do a reenactment, and he's like, "I'm I'm not putting up with this. Is not a comedy show this time. Uh, NBC is exploiting people. It's owned by this corporation that does this and does that, and you are a shill for them, and I'm not going to be." And it was I thought it was interesting that they shot that scene from behind. Behind too. I mean, you only see the the backs of them. And partially, the stage. partially, it's because you know, I mean, they have someone standing. It's not the real standing one. in for Letterman, Letterman, you know, and, and being as right and him being as recognizable of a person as he is. I think that probably was sure. the reason, especially in two thousand three. I mean, he was pretty much kind of at the height of his uh, notoriety. Still, and then, it can mean something. <laughs> it, it does. It, no, no, I think it does. I think it does. I wasn't trying to blow that off, but I, but I, I think I think you're <laughs> right because they do show it from, so not just behind. It's like behind this sort of almost like they're in prison. Yeah, it makes them look like they're in a. It's kind of like, and they're kind of silhouetted. It's it's really effective to break the method of how they were doing it to to go to that. Mm-hmm. Then we go into the cancer year, which is to me this was tough stuff this time around because i don't know you you just see how i mean joyce is trying to make something good come out of this Mm -hmm. and 
says, we're going to make a comic book of the whole thing. And he's like, I don't know how to be positive. I can't do it. And she's like, fine, then I'll do it. And, you know, she hires an artist who to spend the time with them while this is going on. And uh, you see him going through and treatment. that's not something you have to be positive about. No, no. And it's not positive. You see, they show they, they, they show most of it just by showing actual pages from the graphic novel itself, the Our Cancer Year graphic novel. And, you know, you see that's like images of him smashing things at times. And she's smacking him saying, why are you doing this? You know, stop it. You know, and you, you hear the, the soundtrack, just the agony of what they're going through. Or just him laying on the bed yeah. in pain. Exactly. That, that hit, yeah. And then, you know, him laying in the just on the floor of the bathroom and the cat mm-hmm. is sitting there and... It's and and also to think you know these outsiders are brought into the house. It's not just the artist, but the artist's daughter Danielle. Yes, which becomes important. But she, that's what I was gonna say. Like, yeah. yeah, they're going through this hard time, but this is a really awesome thing yes. that comes out of this. Is Danielle? She's their their real mark on the world. I think it's, that's how I kind of saw it. Yes, yes, and that and that's a and that's a beautiful thing. You know, one of the. So towards the end of that cancer sequence, he he goes to Joyce and he says, and he's, he's it's like he's he's having an absolute existential crisis, you know. And he asks, "Am I a guy who writes a comic book book about himself, or am I a character in a comic book? If I die, does the character go mm-hmm. on or just fade away?" It's become this sort of twisted up, mixed up meta thing in his own mind. He hasn't been able to separate the two anymore, yeah. you know. And it's it, the movie Stranger Than Fiction sort of came to mind. You know, am I a real person or am I a creation? I love that movie. Of of someone's, I do too, or of someone's imagination, and and, and it's his own imagination in this case. And, yeah. And then it shows. Yeah, him I heard that line, out. and I was like, like, wow, I I don't even know how to think about that because. I can't imagine like what that must feel like to him. If if he goes on, like other people are the ones that draw him. He writes the stories, but other people have been drawing him for years. So are they just going to keep on going without him? And yeah, yeah, I imagine that would have been hard for him to look to what kind of future he would have. No more than just the comics. Exactly, and you know, I, I was curious about it after I watched the movie, so I looked up you know like the Wikipedia page on Harvey P. Carr. Uh-huh. And he did pass away in 2010. He accidentally overdosed on some antidepressants, one of which I used to take, ironically. Um, uh, but it was after it, his third third diagnosis for cancer. I third, read. I was he was like, about to, he was about to go into treatment. He was just about to go into treatment. Third yeah. cancer treatment. Yeah, and it was just like, oh god. And I looked at you know what has been published since then, and it's all stuff that he wrote. Yeah, at least okay. that that Joyce has published since then. So the character sort of goes on, but it's just stuff that was already there. There's not someone else who's taken over the writing of Harvey Picar as a character, the character, and and continued to draw after that. At least so far, um, and it's been ten years, so I imagine yeah. um, that probably will continue to be the case. But that one sequence towards towards the end there after he passes out after that line and he sort of walks into a comic book world, you know, and he tells this Mm -hmm. story 
about, you know, I think I've got a kind of an unusual name, Harvey Picar, right? And I look in the phone book when I got my first phone book and I got my first apartment and I noticed there was another Harvey Picar in the same city. Just this idea that there is someone else out there. And I've, I've Googled my name before. And there's another Brian Kuyper who lives in the Midwest. And I like, I always thought I was the only one, you know, <laughs> does it? I'm not the only Michelle Egan. Right. There was one living in my city when I was a kid. Is that right? We got our prescriptions got switched up one time. I remember when I was a kid because they gave me birth control pills when I was like eight. <laughs> that's how that's how my mom and I found out about that. <laughs> oh, wow. But yeah, it's even interesting when he says, you know, he was listed as Harvey L. P. Carr and the other guy was just Harvey P. Carr. And then he says, yeah. like, the other guy was the real Harvey P. Carr. And I was like, well... No, you're not. Don't think that way, Harvey. Yeah, I, I think there's sort of, it, for me, I gathered from that just sort of this idea of because someone shares a name with you, does that make you less unique, you know? Yeah. I think that's what he's trying to get at. Does it make me just another, does that make me even more average than I already am because I share a name with somebody else? Because he doesn't really expound on what he thinks about it. He just kind of yeah. tells the story. It's hard to put into words, but it's one of those things that is very deeply felt kind of moment without being um, really explained. You just got to kind of experience and come to your own thoughts about what that even means because it comes in sort of this weird spot. doesn't really have anything to do with anything, yeah. you know, about the plot. But yeah, it's... It, it's a beautiful story and powerful and moving and sort of enigmatic at the same time. And I really love that part. Then one day, a person I work with expressed her sympathy to me concerning what she thought was the death of my father. And she pointed out an obituary notice in the newspaper for a man named Harvey Picar. And one of his sons was named Harvey. These were the other Harvey P. cars. And six months later, Harvey P. Carr Jr. died. Although I'd met neither man, I was filled with sadness. What were they like, I thought. It seemed our lives had been linked in some indefinable way. But the story does not end there. For two years later, another Harvey Picar appeared in the phone book. Who are these people? Where did they come from? What did they do? What's in a name? Who is Harvey Picar? I definitely took pause with that that scene. I was like, "Huh, what is he really trying to say? Like, what is what does he mean?" And I couldn't. I definitely sat and thought about that for a while. I was like, "Does he just feel like another person in the mass, and that you know he doesn't really matter?" Because I don't think that that's true. I think he's he's done something to to move beyond that. 
Yeah, but even he doesn't seem to see his own. But he doesn't believe it. Yeah, yeah he, doesn't he doesn't believe, believe his. It. He does. He never. He never buys into his own success, and that's part mm-hmm. of the reason why he remains relevant. You know, throughout the course of, of time in this movie, is because he he does, just keeps doing what he does, and people respond to it, and he doesn't get a big head about it. He's just telling the exactly. truth, as always. Exactly. Then he comes out of this, and and they it's obviously cut to some time later they show him and, and Joyce signing signing the book and um, they won a couple of national book awards for it he just kind of throws that out there yeah we wrote we won a couple national book <laughs> awards for it it's like like that's a big deal Harvey come on kind of a big deal yeah and um, <laughs> they said the weirdest thing to come out of it all was Danielle uh, so the artist's daughter uh, exactly yeah. feels that his daughter would be better off with them. Their mother, her mother is who knows where, and he's like, I, I can't provide uh, the kind of caring, stable-ish situation that that you can uh, to her. And it's 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 this beautiful thing because it shows him with her. And, you know, this is the guy who never wanted kids. You know, he got a preemptive vasectomy, you know, all these sorts of things. And she says, am I going to be in your book? And he's like, well, yeah, you're part of the story now. And during all of this, they're playing John Coltrane's version of My Favorite Things, uh, which I thought was just a beautiful touch, this sort of hopeful song, still in the style of the kind of music that Harvey loves. Even when they're um, just laying around and she's reading the comic book backwards or whatever. I just love their interaction. He doesn't talk to her any different than he does anybody Anybody else. else. And yet she's the kind of kid that can kind of spar with him. Yes. Which is what he needs. And yeah, so they're, they're perfect together. And of course, like Joyce, I think sees a lot of herself in Danielle and like they, yeah, they, they're the ones that can become the buddies that kind of makes her father think that, you know, she would be good with them. And yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I think that she is really the mark that they maybe made on the world more than the comic. You know, they gave her a great life. That's exactly right. That she might not have had. And, you know, that, that scene where they're walking to the bus really, really touched me. I mean, because I, I was sort of laughing and on with the movie, but mm-hmm. that scene brought a tear to my eye this time because she's holding his hand. They're holding each other's hand. You squeeze my hand too high. Hand, yeah. and, and he says, can you, do you have to hold my hand? And he's like, why, <laughs> are you embarrassed of me? And she says, no, it's just that when you hold my hand, you squeeze it really hard and it's and it's like that really hit me hard this time um because you know the ever pessimist you know is realizing something inside of him somewhere yeah that he wants to hold on to this and not let go and and that was just so so beautiful and sort of the closing thought of the movie is We'll all lose the war eventually, but the point was to win a few skirmishes along the way. And they show him at his retirement party with his, with the actual, you know, his all life. his actual coworkers. Um, yeah, the coworkers, and um, it's, I, it's just a lovely movie. Uh, that's all I really have on American Splendor. Um, is I just think it's. A I, beautiful, I really felt this. Movie. Yeah, I really felt the same way. I thought it was really beautiful at least by the end like at the beginning you think oh it's kind of it's kind of awkward and quirky and and funny and so it's going to be 
entertaining at least in that way but you know going through harvey's life and everything by the end i was like that's actually like despite harvey's personality um as like you say a perpetual pessimist it's a very hopeful kind of uplifting movie at the end which i loved it is it is that meant something yeah great well, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Really glad you enjoyed it. Of course, I did. I, we've been we've been uh, lucky so far, you know that that we really enjoyed the movies that we're bringing <laughs> to know. each other. Um, so we'll we'll see about next week. <laughs> Still, uh, the, I think I will. I, I bet you will too. Okay, but let's talk about. And I know that I know that you will. I'm sure I will. We're talking about next week. I you have to. Yeah, I'm sure I will. Not we're not friends anymore. <laughs> That's what you said about this movie. <laughs> I know. So okay. Because yeah, because this movie that we're talking about now is my pick, Professor Marston and the Wonder Women. Just an absolutely hugely important movie to me. Uh, another one of those movies that just came along in my life at the exact right time and exactly when I needed to see it. Mm -hmm. So just to give like a basic synopsis of what the movie is about Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman, it is about the man who created Wonder Woman and the women in his life who helped inspire the creation of the character. That's basically what the movie is about. He had his wife, uh, Elizabeth Marston, and their, as they call it, their mutual life partner, Olive Byrne. Mm -hmm. And so basically this movie, okay, let me just say off the bat, like how important this movie is. This is a movie about a polyamorous relationship with two bisexual women as Mm -hmm. the main characters. The main uh, male character is played by a gay man. And the movie was written and directed by a black lesbian woman, Angela Robinson. So like, hello. Yes, yes, exactly. And this movie is, this movie is like criminally underseen and when you put all all of that together like that you're just like why is this not like way more celebrated than it should be if we're talking about representation matters mm -hmm. look at this movie for sure and you know especially because it's and so many people have hulu i mean and it's available there it's been available there for well over a year uh you know if you have hulu for free well i mean for your subscription cost and you know i i'm just as guilty because you know i i started watching it at one point um i think about a year ago i i don't know why i didn't finish it um i can't remember why things happen but it it had been in my queue for a long time and still was so it's so to finally have the uh that little extra push to see it was really good and i'm really glad i yeah, and just to get this out of the way first, it, it does say that it is based on a true story. The director admittedly took some liberties with that true story aspect because it's not really widely known exactly what the nature of the relationship between these three people was. The The family of, I think it was the William and Elizabeth's granddaughter, says that she does not believe that there was any relationship between Elizabeth and Olive. But then at the same time, she says, but she doesn't know for sure. Yeah. I think that Angela Robinson just took things that she learned about their lives. And, you know, she's a queer woman. So she wanted to tell, you know, a queer story like this. And so, Mm -hmm. yes, she took liberties. This maybe is not historically accurate. I'm not reviewing or talking about the 
historical version. I'm talking about the movie and like it, my love and appreciation for that is not based on, you know, whether or not any of this actually happened. I don't care. So, but yeah, just to say, get it out of the way that this might not be true. Well, and the you, thing is, you, you know, if, something like that. Yeah. if you're getting your history lessons from movies, from narrative film, you're, yeah, you're, exactly. you're going to the wrong <laughs> place. So, uh, and that'll come up a lot. I mean, Good God. I mean, <laughs> we talked about Ed Wood and Shadow <laughs> of the Vampire on the last episode. Oh, exactly. Uh, so. Yeah. <laughs> I really want this movie to be true, though. <laughs> you watch it and it's just like such a beautiful story. It's like, oh, my God, if this is, turns out to be bullshit, I don't even care because this movie is still going to live in my soul. Yeah, so, for sure. Important it for, sure. for me. And, and like we discussed a little bit before, I mean, we both loved each other's movies, but I think each one of our picks sort of bumped into that this movie really hits me deep. You know, that's true of American Splendor yes. for me, and that's clearly true of Professor Marston for you. And, and I'd uh, love to mostly just want to hear your <laughs> thoughts and just and just play off that a little bit. I Obviously, I have a very different kind of perspective, I guess. You know, I felt a little bit like, a, you know, an outsider looking into an interesting world that I don't understand as directly. Um, so yeah. I'm really interested in hearing what you have to say and, you know, hoping that I can offer something to the conversation in the process, but I don't, know, can. Yeah, but I don't know how, how, <laughs> how much I can, to be honest. A lot of it is just like, this is, a, I love, you know, this movie is superbly crafted. The oh, story yeah. is, it's beautifully acted and written. Everything about it is so strong. Like you said, it is criminally underseen and I hope that people... We'll maybe seek it out um, because of this episode or through Please. other means. Yeah. So shall we? Shall we jump in uh, with both feet? Yeah. I mean, so just to say, um, in case anybody doesn't know this about me, I am queer and I identify as a bisexual. Bisexuality can mean a lot of different things to to different people. Um, it's just the term that I feel the most comfortable using. It just basically means to me that I am romantically and sexually attracted to both women and men. And I can see myself potentially being in a relationship with either of them. That's what being a bisexual means to me is like it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> but I am still, uh, you know, quote unquote, new. I've, I've only been out for a little over a year. My, my coming out birthday or whatever, I guess, was uh, November 1st, 2019. So it hasn't that. been for very long, and so yeah. I was in I was and in Hawaii, so, so it was kind of hard to forget. But <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> I just happened to get on Twitter. It's like, and you had posted that, and I was like, oh yay, hey! <laughs> so I, I tried yeah. to photo, write a little note to you, but um, everybody was. And it was awesome to see everyone sort of oh god growing the love the, the love oh god the love I got from that was that's why I knew it was the right thing to do it on Twitter because. That's kind of almost what gave me the courage to come out. Like, I'm still learning. I'm still exploring this aspect of myself. And um, being from where I'm from, honestly, not that much interaction with the queer community. It's just not here. Mm. I've known, like, maybe one or two gay people, like, personally. Oh, really? My whole life. And, yeah. Like, my uncle was gay. And... There, I mean, college, obviously, um, where you have more people from <laughs> different places coming, sure. you know, to, I live in Missouri. So it's just, not, either I don't know about it or it's, I just never had a 
chance to be around it. So it was actually something I just never even thought of for myself, like being that that could be my my true self. And I think it was just being exposed to it more on Twitter, like people being so open about it and me kind of thinking in the back of my mind, it's like, well, you know what? Yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I kind of have for a while, you know, you kind of look back and even as early as, um, God, maybe late middle school, early high school, mm-hmm. being just as attracted to women as I was to men and, but not really thinking that that was an option for me. Oh. Well, and, um, and so, different periods of time, you know, um, it's incredible, you know, how in the past, you know, even just a couple of years, how so much more open, first of all, uh, people, members of the LGBTQ community have been, you know, just in, mm-hmm. in saying, Hey, you know, this is who I am. But also, um, I think there's been in my, in my experience, I've seen more acceptance, but I also, I live the, where I live is, I think also, I live in Western Washington, you know, not too far from Seattle, which, you know, Seattle is one of the, as far as the West Coast goes, there's San Francisco and Seattle are sort of the places that where this acceptance is sort of blossomed from. So it's something I'm very much aware of and familiar with. And we, there's, it's. I mean, I wish I had it here. I just, it never was anything. It's a very conservative Mm-hmm. And I really, if I, I wish I had had that kind of exposure earlier. I think I would have, coming out so much later in life uh, feels to me like it's been both a detriment and a blessing. Mm-hmm. Uh, a detriment because it, I feel like it's just been a lot of wasted time. Yeah. And I feel like it's um, maybe too late for me a lot of the times. But then also a blessing because, you know, I've been learning so much more about myself recently like in the last five years Mm -hmm. just in general and so this realization you know that i was bisexual wasn't almost wasn't that big of a deal it was almost just kind of like oh yeah i mean that's kind of how i've always been without ever saying it and then actually saying it to somebody i um, i confided in a friend of mine i was like well you know i think i might actually be bisexual like can i be and she was like yeah and I was yeah. just just saying it was mm-hmm. like it, that just felt right. Yeah, for sure. And so and it was it was good to have like I know we talk about Twitter a lot and stuff on here, but that's I don't have a lot of like real real friends in my real life. That I'm I'm mostly online, and the people that I'm closest with are online. That's just the way my life is, <laughs> sad as it may be. But yeah, like just I knew that it would be okay, you know, with everybody. I I'm. I've told my, my sister and my brother-in-law, my parents still don't know. I haven't had that talk with them, <laughs> but I know that they're going to be fine with it. It's just, it's just kind of awkward for me right now to, to have that kind of talk. I'm, I'm 35. It shouldn't be awkward, but it, it does feel weird, but it will happen eventually. I know they won't care. And I know they'll still love me. My sister and my brother-in-law were like, Hey, whatever. That's awesome. That's great. I'm, I'm glad to hear that uh, you had, you know, yeah. that acceptance available. You know, because I, I know that's oh, yeah. not the case for everybody, unfortunately. I uh, know that's I, why I, I, I it heard feels s- kind of bad to say that. I, I, you know, you hear so many, so many stories, horrible stories yeah. about not queer people not being accepted. And luckily, I'm, I'm very, very, very aware that I was, I was, I was lucky that it was. I don't, I don't like to say that it was easy, but that it was just 
I just I just let it out and the people that I have surrounded myself with accept me mm-hmm. and I realize that a lot of queer people don't have that in their lives which is very sad and things need to change yeah. big time in that way sure so then going back to the movie so then not long after this I wanted to um, explore this new side of myself the way I usually do through the movies you know you want to see okay I want to see what what this looks like and if I can see some, something of myself in one of these. And so I asked people for like what their recommendations were for like either lesbian or bi movies. And from our friends, you know, Dave um, online on Twitter and one of my very best friends in the entire world, Rachel, mm-hmm. uh, they both mentioned Professor Marston and the Wonder Women. So I knew just from their recommendations, okay, I got to watch this. And God damn. <laughs> it was just, like I said, it was exactly what I wanted, what I needed to see when I needed to see it. Like it, it has meant the most to me more than like when I look back at some of the other movies where I, I could kind of see my, my queer tendencies, like Black Swan, mm-hmm. stuff like that. It, none of them meant as much as this movie does to be again, to you know feel so seen but mostly to be so well represented, not just represented, but represented in a positive and loving light. Right. And yes, um, at the same time, it is a very like kinky, horny, like hot movie at the same time. You know what I mean? It is. (laughs) It definitely is. And that's awesome too, to see. Mm -hmm. But again, it's, it's way to, they're presenting it as, this is just love and these people love each other. Mm-hmm. And why can't we be okay with that? Right. Exactly. Why can't everybody be okay with that? Yeah. So, um, I don't know if you want to go through any of the plot or whatever. Okay. So William probably, Walton probably just, Marston, yeah, just lay this, out a little bit of the context yeah. here. So this is about the creation of wonder woman, which actually they don't get to the actual creation of wonder woman until well over an hour. Yeah. But the it's like, at the, the, it's like at the hour planted. and a half. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's seeds like are, seeds of it are planted work. all the way throughout it, though. Because you can, you can, if you're watching for it, I think you can see, you know, yes. even while they're creating the exactly. lie detectors, like, ah, oh, the lasso of truth, you know, and, and some of That's those so sorts cool. of things yeah. sort of being drawn in. I mean, it opens with a bunch of people burning copies uh-huh. of Wonder Woman. And the kind of frame story for the movie, be, I think because Wonder Woman doesn't actually come into play like way late in these three people's story, they kind of keep her in your mind and keep the fact that, you know, these are the inspirations and influences for her in your mind by having this, this frame story of uh, Marston being, I guess, interviewed by, I guess some kind of decency league or whatever. I couldn't exactly figure. Yeah. It was was the, um, um, the child studies association of America. Right. As I understand, a few years later, this this is what would sort of morph into... I can't remember the name of the book. Shoot. But um, someone, this guy wrote a book about horror comics and how they are corrupting our youth. And, and okay. you know, they got, <laughs> e, it got EC Comics, you know, canceled, basically, and taken off the, the map and all that other stuff. It's, it's sort of a precursor to that kind of movement, as far as I can tell. It's sort of like a Legion of Decency sort of, sort of group. Right. Um, and he's being interviewed... By a woman named Josette Frank, who I actually love. I love uh, Connie Britton. Mm-hmm. She is one of those great like actresses that you maybe you don't know her name, but you you've seen her, and she's always awesome. She's always great. Yes. 
yeah. Even though even though you don't like her character, she's the antagonist in this movie, or one of the antagonists yeah. in this movie. So you, you're just kind of like, <laughs> but uh, it's uh, she she's terrific though in the role. And it's it's basically her interrogating him about you know the early Wonder Woman comics, um, as she says. There's a lot of stuff with bondage and torture and lesbianism and it kind of it goes into the the story of them by her asking like well you know do you want to explain yourself and i just kind of love that because it's like uh now we're going to get into like the real meat of the story which um uh, is this relationship (laughs) between uh marston elizabeth and olive but first we meet uh, elizabeth she has like such a great introduction for a character. Rebecca Hall, first of all, is fucking amazing in everything that she does. Mm-hmm. But my God, was she spot on for this role. She's If you've fantastic. never seen... Um, yeah, oh, she's great in everything. If you've never seen Christine, um, a movie from a few years ago, she played um, a real-life woman named Christine Chubbuck, um, a news reporter. Right. Who I shot herself seen on it air? Yet, but I've been meaning to. Oh, that's that is an amazing movie, yeah. and she, yeah, she, again, she kills it. But um, like, what I love is like one of her first lines in the movie, like uh, she's just kind of sitting off uh, in this in the on the side while he's giving a lecture. They're at Radcliffe University, which is like I think the sister school of Harvard, where just women attend. Yes. And she's so she's just sitting off like listening to him, and you know, after class he goes up and talk to her, and one of her first lines is like. The cocksuckers denied me again. Right. Yes. <laughs> so she's that just kind of shows what kind of like ballsy woman that she is for this time period. Yeah. You kind of have to keep harping on the fact that for this time period, all of this stuff is just mind blowing. Because this starts if, out. If in, this is true, that doesn't yeah. really happen. This starts out in 1928. In the 20s. Yeah, that's right. And so uh, clearly, both William Marston and Elizabeth Marston are, I mean, they're very ahead of their time. Just as a couple, yes. um, even before, exactly. even before Olive comes into the picture. Um, yeah, because they had yeah. talked about um, being involved in the women's suffrage movement. Yes, all kinds of things like that, and you know, they're they're breaking prohibition and things like that. You know, uh, exactly. Yeah, and you know, th- that's yeah, you have to think about at the time prohibition was going on. You mm-hmm. know, they have they have that scene where you know, she's like, "Where'd you hide the liquor?" He's like, "You, you just." I kept kept thinking about like how long ago this was that something like this was happening, that these people had this kind of relationship and how you know, here we are in 2020. It's not any easier. Right. A hundred years later, almost, which is totally sad yeah. to just think about. But that just kind of kept blowing my mind. It was like, this is in the thirties and the forties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's, uh... how have we not moved on since then? Okay. But, they kind of establish in these early scenes the true love and I think respect that exists between Marston and Elizabeth. Yes. You know, they have that scene where he's like, you know, you're smarter than me. And she's like, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's their um, their relationship is one. You know, it's it's it is wonderful. It's kind of you know I talk about the antagonism between Harvey and Joyce in the previous film too. There's there's sort of mm-hmm. something like that too. They're very much they're they're they've met each other's match. They're, they can they're, they're intellectual sparring partners exactly, and neither one of them is going to take the other's bullshit. But there's there's always a an affection in it. Oh, totally. You know, they're they're not knocking and dragging each other down. There's definitely you can see a little bit of he he likes it. 
<laughs> you know, uh, no, clearly when, when she calls him out. <laughs> that even seems to be part of, you know, his whole disc theory uh, seems to yeah. come, a lot of it seems to come out of their relationship. Yeah, I'm, I'm no psychologist, so I, I don't know, you know, how, if this is a, still a respected uh, theory or not. I don't either, yeah. Um, but it's dominance, inducement, submission, and compliance are, are these Mm-hmm. you know, these elements of, of this. And, and I love, you know, how some of the things, which he calls it like, that's in. the spectrum. That's the spectrum of human emotion is just yes. those four things. Dominance, inducement, submission, and compliance. All human relationships break down into the interplay between these categories of emotion. A person is most happy when they are submissive to a loving authority. It is essential that a person submits to an authority willingly, that it is their idea. We get into trouble when people feel forced to do something they don't want to do, and that is merely compliance. People who simply comply instead of submit are unhappy and repressed, and this can lead to resentment. Taken to its extremes, it can lead to crime, war, fascism. How do you avoid compliance? It seems like that is built into most situations. Inducement. Inducement is the act of seducing somebody to your way of thinking, dominating them so completely that what you want is what they want, and they love giving it to you. And that, ladies, is the key to life, to love, to happiness, to peace. Women are better at inducement than men. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And what I love, too, is Marston is, I love the way that he's represented just as a man in this movie. Mm-hmm. A lot of his lectures and things you hear him say do f- or it's a lot of like feminist ally type stuff, but he means it. Yeah, he does. He genuinely respects and loves women. I think through his, through his studies, you know, he thinks we can end wars, you know, like they have a little conversation like we can end wars by just studying men's emotions and like, learning how to deal with them and be more like women in a way, but Mm -hmm. he means it. And like, yes, he calls his wife at times. He calls her, you know, things like neurotic and a grade A bitch, (laughs) but he doesn't see any of that as a negative. negative. That's right. Exactly. He sees them as a positive thing. I think both for, for him, for the kind of person, the kind of life partner, I think that he would want to have, he would want to have someone that's not just going to be, you know, that's in his disc theory, not be just a submissive. Right. Like she's definitely she's definitely the dom in their relationship, and she is. he I think he enjoys that. He likes that, and he respects it. Definitely, yeah. I just love that he's treated that way in this movie. And then enter into this mix, Olive. Olive. When she first sees her, um, they they're commenting on her beauty. Says, "Oh, her beauty is an albatross mm-hmm. around her neck." Tross. You yeah. know, I think that is. I, I hear conversations like that sometimes where if someone is extremely beautiful, it can sometimes lead people to think certain things like they don't have sure. depth or it's, it's utterly bullshit, <laughs> but it's something that I think is so often placed on people. You know, he obvi- right away, you know, he clearly desires her and he notices her first. Yeah. He notices her first in the lecture hall. So, um, yeah. She is um, Olive Byrne, a 22-year-old um, student in one of Marston's classes. Like I said, he kind of notices her first. Like, he's right. he's attracted to her. And then they see her later out um, on the field. 
um, she they're looking for um, an assistant to help them out with their their research mm-hmm. while they're they're working on the lie detector. She applies, but they kind of uh, they kind of sneak her in in a way because they're they're both intrigued by her. Mm-hmm. And he says, like he says in his in his lecture, that he's going to use the Dix theory on on them on the students to to study them. But it's really. It's really Olive, I think, that they're right. They want to. They say they want to study. They're both, but they're. I think it's an initial attraction too that maybe neither one of them really recognizes. Well, even though it, it kind of sounds like he wants to embark on some kind of sexual relationship with her, and then there's that great moment where Elizabeth um, is kind of okay with it. Yeah. In that moment, I, which I'm, is kind of another. I'm your wife, not your jailer. She yeah. says, "Yeah, I don't, ex- I don't experience sexual jealousy. Just kind of another." But then she thing about her being independent, confident. But she co- so quickly contradicts herself uh, when Olive comes in and says, "If you fuck my cu- my my fuck my cousin, fuck my husband, <laughs> I'll kill you." And it's just like she says it's so matter of fact. <laughs> and, and, and Olive's like, excuse I, me. <laughs> I think that's about her establishing her dominance, though. Oh, yeah. In the relationship. I, I don't know if... It seems like the, the attraction was kind of there from the beginning with with these two. And so she's the kind of person who has to establish her dominance, like, right away. Mm-hmm. It seems that's like. True. And so that's why she says... That's why she says that, even though I, I don't really think she means it, you know. And then they have... Um, they have a conversation where they, they get to know all of a little bit more yeah. and like that she's not who maybe they initially thought she was, yeah. you know, that she has, you know, two major, you know, feminist um, icons yeah. in her family and that, you know, yeah, she has a brain too and she's smart and she's sharp and she's focused. And there's a great scene um, when they're at the, the little speakeasy, mm-hmm. I think is when, the three of them really click, yeah. and it's mostly it's mostly Olive and Elizabeth. They have such a great little moment when she says, "You know, you've got to stop saying sorry all the time." And Olive kind of goes, "Sorry," and she smiles when she says it. And the two of them just have a look where she's—they do, which is perfect. Yes, yeah, you're, absolutely perfect. You're you're right on with that. That's that look is definitely there. And um, yes, when I saw this, I guess I what I saw was yeah. Elizabeth is attracted to Olive, but is afraid to admit it, it seems. Exactly. And um, she's not, you know, because she's she's probably been told all her life, you know, you can't be <laughs> attracted to mm-hmm. a woman. And, and so I, I think when, you know, things escalate between them, uh, as they, I don't want to spoil the, that mm-hmm. moment, but... Um, she, she's, her reaction is to push her away, you know, is to, you know, you have to go away. She does that a couple of times in the movie. Elizabeth does where she's like, I'm not okay with this, but then she becomes okay with it. You know, when she finally just sort of sheds some of that, um, I don't know if it's, you know, baggage in her life that has kept her from being willing to explore that side of herself, uh, in a couple of different ways. First of all, her relationship with another woman and then the bondage stuff later on. It's just, I, I didn't know what to think about that. It was interesting to me because she evolves in it. I mean, she, she, yeah. but she's very like, she's at first yeah, she's is like, you're the, not okay with this. Yeah. She's definitely the strongest and the smartest of the three. Yeah. Which is why I think 
I mean, it is kind of surprising, but it also makes sense that she's the one that shows the most reluctance to move forward with their relationship. She's smart. She's thinking of the implications. Sure. You know, yeah. of society. Mm-hmm. You know, consider, like I said, considering what queer people still have to deal with now in 2020, all of her concerns and fears are totally valid and understandable. It's, oh, of course. And just about, and it can be just about her, you know, maybe not wanting to admit to herself what she really is, a very valid thing that, that queer people go through. Mm-hmm. Hey, I couldn't admit it for, what, almost 20 years? Sure. Yeah, it takes a while to to really accept that if it's something new. Yeah, and I really like that the movie, that the movie is willing to have those kinds of "Quote unquote contradictions happen because they're and they're not contradictions. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I, it's not a. It's not, it's a, not a contradiction. No, it's, it's it's a it's a change in perspective. You know, so an early yeah. part of the film, she might feel a certain way or think a certain way, and maybe not even entirely know why. But then later in the film, will come around to uh, something else. All of them, really, in in various yeah. ways. It's a total life changing thing. It's it's very normal to have exactly. Those that back and forth and that and that fear and not wanting to admit as much as the other person you know going back to the disc theory is trying to is inducement right you know the first one they first test out the lie detector and marston admits that he's in love with olive yes olive goes to elizabeth and says i don't love him i love you you. she's the first person to have the to stand up to that fear and actually say that to her and actually kiss her in that moment. Right. Which, yeah, that, that probably causes some fear in Elizabeth too. You know, you, it not being a normal part of society to be as open about being gay or being a lesbian. Yeah. You can totally understand why she's so reluctant to it, even though it kind of feels like when you first meet her, that she wouldn't be like that. It kind of feels like Olive would be that character. Right. And one of the main things that I love about the movie is that there is so much of a focus on the relationship between Olive and Elizabeth. Yes. Kind of more so than between Olive and Marston. Because, you know, mm-hmm. Elizabeth and Marston. I just keep calling him Marston. Yes. Yeah. I always forget his name is William. But whatever. <laughs> like, they already have this established relationship. And for the movie to to focus so much on the building up of the relationship and that Olive seems actually more enamored with Elizabeth than Marston. Oh yeah. I think was absolutely the right way to do it. And this is the way that it it needed to be done Mm -hmm. to show that these women are just as in love with each other as the man is with them. So that it's not just a movie about a dude with a wife and a mistress. Right. And that it's something that the that he just fell in love with this hot young co-ed and it was something that his wife had to accept, you know? Right. That they were all involved in this this polyamorous relationship. And that's that's what's important is that everyone is is consenting and loving and wants to do this. And so they they'd spend a lot of time building building that up, that this mm-hmm. is something that they all want. Yeah. It's, and, and it's co equal too. It's not I mean there's yes, there's exactly. no one of the three that one relationship that, 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 that is, is takes yeah. precedence over another. Um, exactly. It's yeah, it's it's really well done and And so often another reason why it's good that they, they spend so much time on Olive and Elizabeth, like so often, you know, lesbians and bisexual women are fetishized a lot Mm. by mostly males 
Oh, sure. I'm sorry to say. No, it's true. Are, you're you're absolutely just right. a fantasy. Yeah. I mean, that's... That they're not really seen as, as people who can be in love, that a bisexual right. woman can be in love with with another woman and for it not to just be a hot thing to watch in porn. <laughs> yeah. You know, exactly. pretty much. Yeah. And the, the fact that they show them falling in love first is so important to me. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that it's not, like I said, that it's not fetishized, that it's not, no, it's not that all. the guy almost feels like an accessory <laughs> sometimes <laughs> to their relationship. It's, it's true. Yeah. Even though, yeah, even though the, the love I think is equal mm-hmm. that much focus just kind of helped hit that home that you know this wasn't just something that this was true love yes between the three of them yeah yeah exactly you're you're spot on there let's just put it that way i i don't I, honestly i don't know what how i can expand on that you're just articulating it all very well so i i'm i'm just like yeah you're right <laughs> And um, I don't know, you want to kind of get into like the whole thing with the lie detector. And I think that was such a smart way. It's, it's, a, they use, it's a really good way to They use things like the creation of Wonder Woman um, is all based off of like all of this stuff that comes up in the movie. The lie detector, um, his disc theory, the later on, the stuff with uh, bondage and ropes and even um, the bracelets mm-hmm. that you see all of wear throughout the movie. Yeah. And she has these like big silver cuffs. And the, and the costume it, even, you know, the, the, yes. the look. Oh, God. Yeah. We will get to that. <laughs> All of this stuff, it's really cool to see as inspiration for, you know, the character of, of Wonder Woman. But at the same time, all of this stuff goes back to this relationship mm-hmm. between them, I think. Yeah. The lie detector is used. Elizabeth and Marston are trying to perfect the first real lie detector Test. That's what's happening, and that's what really happened in the movie. He he created it, and there. But they use it to show everybody's true feelings, yeah, for each other. And I love the way that they did that. Yeah, and especially when it right before the first time they all have sex together, mm-hmm. that is ah. Oh, well, one of the things that that's a great moment that's so clever about it too is you don't have to watch the needles jumping because they start to use it, so you can just hear the sound. Mm-hmm. You know, uh-huh. and I thought that was really smart because you could stay focused yeah. on the faces and just sort of cut back and forth because you can see, cause I mean, she, she lies every question yeah. instead of switching to the truth. She just lies every question. And you hear that needle swinging farther and far, you know, showing the heart rate. It's a, it's a heart rate monitor at that point. Uh, yeah, basically. not much yeah. more. Um, that was just from just a craft, a film craft standpoint. Yeah. That, that was one of my sort of favorite details uh, that I thought was really effective because you can see the emotional play on all their faces instead of having to keep jumping back to this inanimate object. What do you want? I don't know. That is a lie. Are you in love with Brent? Yes. That is a lie. Are you in love with me? No.
Are you in love with Elizabeth? No. Do you want to have sex with me? No. Do you want to have sex with Elizabeth? to say to that um and, and, it, and even though it, like she's she keeps lying even though it keeps telling her that she's lying she keeps going with it i think that just kind of makes it even more emotional because even mm-hmm. though it does she's lying she you know she means the exact opposite of what she's saying that she really is in love with both of them and wants to be with them and it, again it's that 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 fear of like can we actually make this work will this are we would we be happy together if we actually went through with the relationship can we go through with a relationship like this and yeah. in, in our time yeah. uh, there's a lot of play there but I, I love that they have it seems like that first threesome scene with them which is beautifully shot and it really is gorgeous and I, I love god the song choice is that the one that, that starts scene. with uh, I hate you with all my heart Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I love that line. Yeah, <laughs> Olive, Olive runs. Olive runs out, and Elizabeth goes goes after her and says, "I can't believe I got you to to bait me like this." Because they're they're all. I love that they're all scared to admit how they're really feeling, but everybody knows that this yeah. is how they're really feeling. It's just a matter of them saying, "Okay, like screw what everybody else thinks. Let's let's just do this. Let's just do it." Mm-hmm what we want to do. Marston says that to Elizabeth at one point. She's, he's like, Jesus, what the fuck do you want? Elizabeth is basically, right. you know, what he says to her. It sucks that it was so hard for them, you know, that they could have had a lot. They, in reality, they didn't really have, you know, a lot of time together. When you look at it, he died in, in 47. Right. So the three of them honestly didn't have that much time together, even though they, they tried to make the most of it. I think it seemed like that they had in the movie, they, they made a great life for themselves, no matter the, the hardships that they had. But yeah, when they finally all just kind of admit it, when mm-hmm. Olive and Elizabeth, yeah, she says, I hate you. I hate you so much. Obviously, she's saying, I love you. Exactly. I love you so much. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and they finally kiss and they, they all finally give in to their feelings for each other. Oh, God, it's a, such a beautiful moment. It's really well done. And um, the music choice you, you mentioned, I, I'm trying to remember yeah. what the song was, but I remember it's, okay, it's sort of a it, modern version it's of a an version old of, song. Yeah, it's a modern version. I don't know exactly. I forgot to look up exactly who did it of, of Feeling Good. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, that is such a perfect... It's it's sexy, and it the, the lyrics kind of match, you know, what's happening on the screen, and it just goes with the whole kind of slow motion mm-hmm. of it. I, I think it's a beautifully shot scene. Yeah. And it shows through that scene that it shows the genuine love between all three of them, that it's not just... 
one this relationship or that relationship. There's no jealousy. There's never any jealousy throughout this whole movie no, yeah, that, that, with their relationship, which was yeah. I think that was another like super important thing to portray about polyamory. Which, by the way, like I am all for that. I think I would even honestly I would prefer almost a polyamorous relationship to a monogamous monogamous relationship for myself. Uh, after I saw this. I was like, okay, not only do I feel seen as a bisexual being presented in this beautiful, positive way, polyamory being portrayed in a beautiful and positive way mm-hmm. as well is also extremely, extremely important because I think so many people still think that something like that is not possible. And to me, it feels very natural and real and like something that I honestly, that I would almost want to pursue, pursue that <laughs> in favor of a monogamous relationship because you know people think it's not possible to love two people at the same time and i don't know i've just never really and that question's even brought up in I've... this movie that that, yeah. that that direct question is even yeah asked. elizabeth elizabeth says yeah that. you know and i i thought you know that's a you know that that was an affecting moment and what i another thing i like about it, it doesn't really answer the question you know it, it sort of leaves it up to the viewer to decide for themselves whether whether that, yeah, whether or not can love that's possible. Two people at the same time. Yeah. Um for for them, you know. For you know what I mean? For the viewer, yeah. yeah. I mean. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. It works it works for them in the movie totally. Yeah. And so I think it's so important that this relationship was shown like that for anybody who's in that kind of relationship and to see it represented so well. I've never I can't remember another time I've seen a polyamorous relationship on screen. I can't even think of one right now. And representation matters, and even if you don't agree with it or don't think it's possible, it is. Well, I mean, and I I'm a lot of, a lot of people it. are a lot of people are very happy in that situation, mm-hmm. and God love them. Like, sure, why wouldn't they be? Yeah, and you know, I, again, it sort of comes down to just the you know what is right for the people involved. What's right for you? Yeah, yeah. And for me personally, I'm I I, I don't know if I if I could do that. You know, mm-hmm. so and that's but but again, that's 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 me. I mean, I I feel very bonded to my wife, you know, in the relationship that we have, and and having that balance changed, I don't think would work for us. But you know, hey, I'm like, if it if it works for someone else, have at it. Yeah, I know a lot of people that you know being monogamous doesn't feel natural sure. to them. That I I can under I definitely see it and respect it. I can see how it's possible, and it just it. Again, it kind of sucks that people don't understand it or don't want to try to understand it. And so it's that's why, again, a movie like this is important. Yeah, I mean, and, and it really is. It's not. Here's the thing. It has a it has a definite message it wants to send, but it's not at the expense of the story it's trying to tell or yeah. the, um, I guess, entertainment that it's trying to provide. Because it's and that's that's one of the things that makes the message more powerful. Sure. You know, is the fact that it's telling its story through the characters and their situations, giving a context for the beliefs of the filmmakers want to share. I think that's really mm-hmm. one of the reasons why this works so well. There's a lot of lines that just kind of subtly hint that this whole movie goes back to their relationship. I love one thing um, that Marston says when he's talking about finding the, the key to the lie detector test, which was to 
measure the person's heart rate. Mm-hmm. What he says when he's talking to uh, Mrs. Frank, the key was that, you know, it doesn't matter what you say or think, your body will always betray you. And that's that goes back to their relationship, too. You're like, it doesn't matter what they they think, whether, you know, that the, they have to keep going back and forth. Like, we can't really do this. We're not going to be accepted. Mm-hmm. You know, their bodies betray them. Like, their their mind says that we can't do this, but in their hearts they really want to. Oh, yeah. 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 That's definitely not one. So I kind of love that line. There's lots of little, like, hint-dropping lines like that. Um, I like one um, in the, uh, again, in the speakeasy scene when the... Um, uh, Olive was kind of uh, offended by what Elizabeth said to her about please don't fuck my husband. Yes, so yeah. they they take her out to to bury the hatchet and get to know each other better. And then um, Marston says because they also want her to also keep working as their research assistant. Right. Um, Marston says, "Will you join us?" Ah, <laughs> which yeah. I kind of loved. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> because... these are things you know, having only seen it once, that I. I don't necessarily pick up on it so many times. (laughs) I love that little moment. He's saying like, will you join us? Because obviously that ends up having a double meaning. (laughs) It does. It does. That's something else I love too, is that Olive is, is really the, the catalyst and the one to really push for them to actually try to pursue this relationship. Yeah. She's the kind of the catalyst in the way, because they all, they both fall in love with her. She, falls in love with them i i really loved that she was the one who was probably the most fearless mm-hmm. at times in expressing herself yeah again at a time when it would have been extremely hard you know to openly express that there's a line in the movie that josette frank says in a, in a voiceover you know that lesbianism is a mental illness right yeah that's what that it was, was considered, considered homosexuality yes, uh-huh. yeah homosexuality at the time was considered a mental illness mm-hmm. but uh, yeah i just love how, how fearless like like i said she's the first one that goes up and, and says i love you to elizabeth mm-hmm. and kisses her like way before they yeah. ever and then fall. you know i think that even you know sort of brings it to sort of what i think is probably going to be the iconic scene of the movie and that is okay so they uh, get found out they uh, get yeah. fired uh, but they go off they sort of yeah they're very, they're kind of not as all of, they're a little bit too open mm-hmm. about their relationship right. on campus people right. find out and so Marston and Elizabeth are fired, fired from the university yeah um olive is pregnant um yes. and then it cuts to several years later they have children uh, like more than one yes. um from each of them uh from each of each, both Elizabeth and I believe both Elizabeth and uh, Olive, Olive has, has Olive has sons. two sons and then Elizabeth is she not pregnant yeah. yet? I can't remember. Um, Eventually, she has she, a son and a daughter. And a daughter. Yes. Um, so they're they're lying about their situation. They're saying, "Oh, the Marstons are very kind to let me live with them and all this sort of stuff." You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think the real the, sorry the the, the the turning point is after Olive has given birth. Right. To that that first child and yeah. Elizabeth is is holding the child. That's a that's a that's beautiful they, moment and and that yeah. that is like this is you see that you know that's shown so well because I mean she's just as much this child's mother as exactly. all yeah and um, that does and yeah. at the end I mean there, there's something that sort of changes that a little bit which is sad scene but um, but what I was going to say is you know that the, okay where you know Marston goes in and he sees this fetish shop. And he, mm-hmm. he's looking around and 
and he's like, I was thinking something Greek for my wife, you know, <laughs> and uh, all these sorts of things. And then they go back later, and you know, he learns about the the bondage uh, stuff, you know, the G-string king, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I remember the G-string. Yeah, I, Charles Goyette. Yeah, or whatever his name is. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, he come he come. Marston comes home with mm-hmm. a bunch of like pornography, exactly. basically that shows bondage and stuff, and he sees the disc his theory disc theory. In it. Yeah. In this lifestyle, yeah. yeah. So, so they go, yeah, they go they, back they go to the back demonstration, to like the the the, bo- the backroom bondage lesson, which yeah. I fucking love. Yeah. <laughs> and so then, I think the iconic moment in the movie is when An iconic image, image, image. Yes, is when, and it's even on the poster, um, is when Olive gets dressed in uh, like a burlesque outfit, a leather bondage outfit it's lit in such a way to make it kind of look like the wonder woman costume um using using reds and blues and golds um and she's sort of lit from behind and and and, yeah and but she's got the outfit it's got she's got her cuffs and the boots and she's holding a rope she's the the tiara tiara yeah everything is there i saw i saw that she's handed a rope first saw this yeah yeah when I first saw this movie, I saw that. I was like, <gasps> yeah. that just like shocked me with how beautiful that image yeah. was. And like you said, yeah, it's on the poster. This movie also has like one of my favorite posters and taglines ever. There's a lot of different variations yes. on the poster, but I really like the one where it's it's just Olive. Yes, that me too. You know, in that in that outfit, mm-hmm. holding holding the rope, and her she's kind of darkened and like yeah. looking down, and then the tagline is just "Ever wonder?" Yeah, question mark. Oh God. It's so perfect because it's like ever wonder like you know where Wonder Woman came from. Exactly. Yeah, it's basically what, what this is, and it's so perfect for this movie. Yeah, and that sort of becomes the moment where it all coalesces in in Marston's mind. This idea of mm-hmm. of a character. You know, is it going to be a comic yes. book character? I, I don't know if that's really the plan at the beginning, but but it's well. But then the first. Elizabeth is very much against this. I think we should also yeah. mention it. Kind of, it all goes back to his his disc theory again. Is that yeah? They're watching the him doing the demonstration of you know tying the ropes around a woman's body, which is actually really cool because he he does this whole elaborate thing right. on on this model, and then he just like with one move, it all comes off. Right. <laughs> which I thought was really cool, and it it's kind of goes back to again this uh, a different. Like they have, they're living this different lifestyle, and then they're introduced to this other different lifestyle of of bondage and submission. I love the way that it was presented because it's it's very positive. Because mm-hmm. with these kind of relationships, there is a lot of trust right. that needs to happen, and it can be like I I don't have any experience with that. I don't know if I would be into it. I haven't tried it. I don't know, but it seems to me like. That can be a very a very healthy relationship, Cause, like I said, because there's got to be a lot of trust and no judgment. Yeah, you know, from the other person. And I, I think that it which the, can really be freeing. The important line in in that whole thing is is when Elizabeth asks Olive, "Is this what you really want?" And she emphasizes yeah. you. And I, I yeah, because at first yeah. she's really she's like, "Why are you letting him do this to you?" Mm-hmm. To you. Right. Because I, I, and you can definitely see where she's coming from. Elizabeth is very, like, strong woman. You know, when she first sees this, she sees it as the woman being made to be, you know, subservient Subservient. to the man. Right. And submissive. And that kind of puts her off at first. Like, she, 
she doesn't understand it, understandably. But then you see Olive is kind of enjoying it and doesn't mind it. Right. Again, with the disc theory, it's it's compliance. She has to ex- accept that. She's like, I am I am the submissive and I accept that. You have to ex- accept that for me. And this is actually perfect for Elizabeth. Elizabeth is a dom. She, right. <laughs> she kind of seems to enjoy it too. It's like, again, it's about... It's about trust and it's about consent mm-hmm. and it's about what everybody wants. And it can be a very healthy thing, even if it does not seem normal to people outside of the relationship. Right. That's the most important. Again, I'm glad that this kind of relationship was was shown in a movie, too, because it needs to be said. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, I, like, I think I think uh, we can't say, all right, we can talk about this, but not this. You know, I mean, are, are, sure. can we be beyond that, you know? Um, and just have, like we've been saying throughout a lot of this episode, representation. Because, I mean, you could even say that, in some ways, American Splendor is about representation of seeing yourself in something, too. You know, sure. even though it's yeah. even though it's not something sexual, it's, it's, um, it's just a different um, sort of... But it's important for people to be able to see themselves in art yeah. of various kinds. And to see it... Again, in this positive, positive way, yeah. I'm glad that I was just so glad that, that this is, even though it gets into stuff that on the surface could be like really kinky and, mm-hmm. and cheesy and they could take it completely the wrong yeah. way. The way that Robinson does it is perfect. Yeah. it's Because it shows mm-hmm. like if, if there is love and there is trust and this is what everybody wants, what is the harm? Who are you to judge these people for what they enjoy? Right. They're, they're not any different outside of the bedroom just because of what they enjoy that's they're still the same person exactly and that's a very important distinction to make i think that's what elizabeth kind of struggles with at first you know she does this might be something this might be something that she enjoys in this part of her life but in the rest of her life she's still the same strong woman that she always was you know everybody just has different things that they like and that should all of them should be accepted as long as they're consenting people involved you know, yeah, of course of <laughs> very course. important yeah yeah <laughs> it's a lot right it's a lot yeah um, it's a lot that this movie goes into yeah and so i mean from from there we get into the whole you know i can take my ideas of my whole yeah, all these instead of publishing some sort of academic paper i can actually spread my idea my all my concepts throughout his life and get a yeah. far wider readership than i ever would you know, and I can influence an entire generation um, towards feminism, etc., through a comic book. And um, this character of, you know, he Suprema the Wonder Woman. Suprema the Wonder Woman. Yeah, which which sounds. I'm oh, by the so way, so glad they changed that. <laughs> I know. By the way, also forgot to mention Oliver Platt. <laughs> oh God! In this movie. Yeah, he's he's uh, snaps for him. I always love Oliver Platt. Yes. Again, he is. Amazing in this movie. Yeah, and he comes to, to him. Uh, he's running DC apparently at the time. And um, is that what it was? Yeah, okay, because like... because okay, I, I, or Action Comics, I think is what it was called at the time, um, or or the the umbrella that went over Action and DC, and um, they all had different names. They've all sort of coalesced under the name DC now. But yeah, they they were the publisher of Superman, of course. Uh, bring it back to a previous episode as well. He, he ends up buying it. I, I you know, he, Marston mm-hmm. convinces him, but there's also, the, you know, he's fine. They're starting to outsell Superman. Um, they're, 
of course banned by the Legion of Decency and all this stuff, and and his responses to triple the bondage and and, and the and, <laughs> this, and all we got to cut the kink by what 50, 50, 50, 50 to sixty percent. We got to cut the kink. Yeah, <laughs> I love that line delivery. Yeah, reply. yeah, it's it's great. And then then he's like, <laughs> then he's like, I tripled it. Tripled it. Yeah, and um, <laughs> that's sort of the. I guess that's the fun part of the movie if they're, yeah. if they're you know it's just seeing and it, le- it, it's a, it leads to where marston is in the, the frame story of yeah. being investigated yeah for his handling of wonder woman yeah exactly because because it shows it brings it up to the point where and it, it's really is is that okay so they they end up kind of taking a sick day <laughs> the three of God, them. I love that yeah, scene. and and um, love that scene. And and they 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 are caught by the neighbor. And um, now is the whole part of him the scene where where he's actually watching the burning of the books? Is that after that? Uh, is that after? Um, it's after that. It's after after you know, all of one of their one of their children gets uh you know is beaten up is yeah. beaten up. I, I love the part though where he says to a fight with neighbors. I, I got a, I got a couple in. You know, <laughs> you, what, you yeah, said, exactly, the, the kid. Yeah. I love that part. Um, <laughs> and and his response, you know, there she's he's being asked about violence. And he's like violence. What of it? You know, it's like we're facing violence. I've seen violence. Yeah, you people are causing violence, violence to happen to our family me and my family because of your intolerance. Exactly, yeah. and the sequence where Olive just takes the kids. It's sad that she's the one that has to to go I in know. the relationship, and there was never any discussion about it. But it it makes the most sense that it, you know for, William and Elizabeth mm-hmm. are are. They're legally married. They're legally married, yeah. And um, Yeah, so that's why Olive has to be the one to leave. And and Marston's like, please don't do this. And she her response, yeah. I didn't do this. I mean that is that really is powerful. She didn't do this, but also Elizabeth didn't do it. No, no, it's that's not what she's way. saying at all. I think Yeah, I know. I think she's know. saying, you know, I didn't do this, society did this to us. Basically, yeah. Um, the, we kind of think that she might also be talking about Elizabeth, but she, Elizabeth didn't do it either. Yeah. Like that's no, yeah, it's no, society. I don't, I don't, I don't society's intolerance. Okay, good. yeah, but the whole thing about you know, and, and the and the the boys just sort of clinging to him and and and, want, and just right. being so torn to leave. And it's again, it's also great that they show that it is a very happy, healthy family that they've created. Yeah. Oh God, the scene. Um, Elizabeth is pregnant and she says she wants to name, if it's a girl, she wants to name her Olive Anne. Ugh, yeah. Kill me. Like they're, they're all so happy together. The kids are happy together and they all love each other. And the, the kids all accept this relationship. Maybe if they don't fully understand it because they're kids, but they're not, they're just normal, happy people. And it just, yeah, it's, again, yeah. it's one of those things where it sucks that people just can't accept it. Right. If they're happy, what the fuck? Doesn't matter to you. Exactly. Sorry, yeah. I get it. You're, no, I get <laughs> a little. It. I get it. I get it. Um, so again, this is another small connected tissue between the movies: is, is the cancer to see Marston, you know, in, in this pain, you know, so sort of tied down to the bed, you know, bondage used on him in a different fashion. It's I don't know. I stuff stuff about illness and, and cancer and stuff. It really affects me. <laughs> When I see it in movies, sure. and and it's, you know, I, I lost I lost a grandmother to leukemia when I was in high school. I lost another to Alzheimer's, and that's a whole another episode. 
I've lost all of my. Yeah, I've lost all of my grandparents as well. Um, yeah, all of my grandparents were gone from cancer or illness. Yeah, and and so you seeing it's hard. seeing it depicted in film in a, in a in the way that these two movies do, even though in, Mar- in Professor Marston it's it's small element of it's a yeah. it's a larger element of the other to have it handled honestly and and in this fashion is I don't know it, it's it's powerful in, in a lot of ways too um, uh, even though it's far from the focus of this movie it kind of is though yeah. because he realizes that he's probably gonna die soon yes. or he has that that feeling and the three of them are separated at this point he wants the two women that he loves and whom he knows love each other to be together and to take care of each other after he's gone yeah that's why you know he asks olive to to come back as he's leaving the hospital it's like and they have that that great scene where elizabeth is he tells her you know <laughs> first he says like Will you let me talk for three minutes without interrupting me? <laughs> yes, and, and she doesn't it's a make great it moment very for far, them. does she? <laughs> it's a great moment for him. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, the two of them, because you can tell that's the kind of relationship they've had. But it's great. Uh, you know, she has to you know stop being you know her dominant self, thinking with her brain and think with her heart is basically what it's. Yes, that scene is saying she she has to like basically get on her knees and beg Olive to take them back. Right. Yeah, she doesn't it, have to. I think I think Olive really wanted to. She they just, chooses she just needed to. the permission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She chooses to, and and I think that's an important element that this movie does well is is that it's all you know. This is consensual in in every in every yeah. situation. It's choice yeah. involved. It's not even though the the word dominance is used in this. It's not. It's not. Ex- a, that's not a negative thing. It's not at yeah. the ex- in in the sense of it, dominance and submission are sort of redefined in this movie. Yeah. In into a positive light, which I think. How yeah, how people who important. are not in those kind of relationships see them, it's not mm-hmm. as a negative thing. Right. Like in those relationships, like even though it sounds like dominance, even though it sounds like you're literally dominating somebody else, it's just the roles that these people take on. Exactly. And again, they. They consent and accept these roles. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and and I think that's all beautifully done and um, beautifully expressed throughout the film. Oh, and then Olive, oh, what does she say? Like to that, will you take us back? And she's like, "I want a new stove." <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that line. I, yeah, it's, it's, that's right. Yeah, she just starts crying. She's like, "I want a new stove, and I want you to take the kids on weekends so I can have time, and I want you to change Wonder Woman's outfit because it's preposterous." Right. <laughs> I love that. It's just. It's just again, it's just their their acceptance and love, and she's just saying like, yeah, of course I want to be with you guys. I want you to to love me to the end of my days. Right. That she says, and you know, which is, um, which is certainly the case. I mean, after Marston dies, Elizabeth, yeah, that's the end of the movie. Elizabeth and yeah. Olive continue to live together for the rest of their lives until what one who was which one of them was a hundred and three. <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember if it was Elizabeth uh, or all of it. I can't, I can't yeah, remember. And it was, it was like, wow. I mean, this was, this was uh, just a, I think Olive, I think Olive died first yeah. and then Elizabeth lived on. I can't yeah. remember. Oh, I think sorry, I, that's right. I, no, I think you're correct. And it, it was, it's just like this. Yeah. And that, that part of the, of the story is, yeah, that, that part of the story is told, you know, just through 
epilogue text on the screen exactly. like that the hospital scene is the last scene in the movie and then it just kind of shows the three of them and their kids walking in the park and it says what happened and um yeah when i read that all of it elizabeth stayed together for 38 years i started crying like the first time i saw this movie i was like that is so fucking beautiful don't even get me started yeah it, it, and that's kind of one of the little nuggets mm-hmm. that angela robinson took from what she read about their their relationship you know she read about how elizabeth named one of her daughters olive ann and that they stayed together for you know almost 40 years after Marston died. Yes. That's one of the little nuggets from their life that she took to create this story. Yeah. Again, even if it is not historically accurate to what the nature of the relationship is really like. I, again, I don't care. I love the way yeah, it, <laughs> she did this movie. Uh, yeah. I, I think people can so often get hung up on... The true the, story or not. Yeah. The difference... Okay, so this is a little tiny, tiny tangent. But I... Heard okay. this someone who was commenting that Goodfellas, they don't like Goodfellas because uh, one of the reasons was because um, Joe Pesci was too old to play Tommy. And I'm like, you know, you're and? getting caught up in fact and disregarding right. the truth of the story. Okay. Right. So was the factually Joe Pesci too old to play the character? Yes. Does he capture the truth of the character? Yes. yes. So those that's just an example. And I think I think when you when you get the difference between fact and truth, it yeah. it sort of helps to to make, you know, historical films more palatable. If you don't get yourself right. caught up in the weeds of every single little thing. I I, I, I don't And get I think it. it's fine that yeah. I think it's fine that that Angela Robinson did this, you know, yeah. she's a queer woman who wants to tell queer stories. She's telling a particular which is story. So important. Yeah. Yeah. She's telling a particular story that, and trying to make a particular point without beating us over the exactly. head with it. Um, that is engaging and entertaining. And, and she achieves that by, you know, expanding on, you know, what the facts may be. And I think that's, that's a wonderful thing. Amadeus isn't actually telling the story of Mozart. I hate to tell you <laughs> right. folks, but Salieri didn't kill him. <laughs> anyway. And I don't think that this movie is it's not entirely about the creation of Wonder Woman, even though that's it's really not. kind of in the title. It's mm-hmm. about this love relationship between these three people. Yeah. It's just like everything related to that kind of just goes back to that and and relates to that. What uh, he says um in one of the the lectures that he's giving, you know, Wonder Woman is is my life. She's my love. Mm-hmm. You know, she, he's talking about the woman in his life who helped inspire this, who helped inspire him. I like that little moment. not just for this and to be a better, be a better person, be a more open and loving person. Exactly, and I and I like that little moment at the end there. And you know, one of the things I was thinking, you know, the idea also for, as like a anyone who's a creative person or like something that other people question, it's always, it's, I hate having to defend all the time, you know, <laughs> why you like something, you know, or why you created right. something. And, and so to show that on film in a fashion like this, I thought was really truthful too, because, you know, like as, for example, as horror fans, we always get asked, mm-hmm. why do you like horror? Why do you like that stuff? It's like, Oh, Do God. people ask you why you like romantic comedies? You know? <laughs> exactly. I mean, defend yourself for liking Notting Hill now. 
You know, it doesn't happen. Right. You know, whereas I like the hills have eyes because, you know, it's not my thing. Why do you like crap like that? You get questions like that all the time, you mm-hmm. know, and I and I hate that. And so and it's the same it's it's the same kind of idea. The creator of something having to sit there and defend what they do all the time. And the three people in this movie having exactly to defend having to their defend relationship their to relationship to society. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. So they shouldn't have to. It all ties together back to their relationship, like you said. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, that's, I I think that's I think I, I've gotten everything I'm going to say. This is just absolutely beautiful movie that meant the world to me when I saw it and uh, it still does and And probably always will yeah definitely and I think both of these movies are underseen and really deserve deserve an audience Um, I mean American Splendor won some award at Sundance and some of these sorts of things but those things can so quickly be forgotten and this movie is um, Professor Marston is from 2017 it's only a few years old but yeah it seemed to fly so far under the radar i had never even heard the title like when it it was recommended to me i was like professor marston and the wonder woman which kind of definitely intrigued me to watch it from the title yeah i had never even heard it mentioned before so i had actually not seen uh, this movie please go out and watch this it's on hulu like we said yeah exactly now you will love it i actually had heard about it when it came out in theaters um and it sounded intriguing so it sort of got on my radar so when it hit hulu i immediately put it in my in my queue but as often happens when you put something in your queue it sits there for a you while. don't watch it from yeah <laughs> so uh, <laughs> uh that 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 tends to be the case so i'm glad that uh you gave me a reason to put it at the top of the queue okay. and that we got to talk about it i think so that you being on kind of the outside of what this movie shows yeah. can understand like what it means to someone like me i think that's really special yeah and i appreciate it. to do that i really appreciate that that we got to do that too good good conversation i really enjoyed that excellent okay. yes all right all right so we switching it up again to our weekly recommendations sure. for this episode yeah let's do it now, okay explain this thing that you were you were wanting to talk about okay doing. okay so normally we give out just one recommendation but we're gonna do something a little different you know it's it's uh, we're recording this at the end of January here, and um, this will hit sometime in the middle of February probably. And um, so I thought we both watch a lot of movies. We like to discover lots of things, and I thought we'd just do a little instead of doing a whole episode dedicated to something like that. We're, which which we might still do. Yeah, I think we could still probably sneak one in. Maybe. Yeah, maybe if we can have time to record a bonus episode, we can do that. We yeah. Go into some of these more deeply, but. In 2020, I had so many, so many films that I just got to watch more movies um, Mm -hmm. because I was, you know, I was home from school uh, most of that time and um, had a little bit more freedom of hours, even though it was crazy, crazy transition during that time. Um, So I I ended up seeing more movies than I normally would. So we're each just going to give quickly our top five or so from the year yeah it's our favorite movies that we saw for the first time in 2020 no matter what year no matter what year in in fact i didn't choose any from 2020 and i'm I'm gonna just sort of rattle through a couple um so number five uh bunny lake is missing which is an incredible film love that movie Um, i love that movie and it's did you get the um 
the Blu-ray of that? No, I watched it on Criterion From Channel. Indicator? I watched it on Criterion Channel. Ooh. Um, and You've got a great Blu-ray from Indicator, FYI. Yeah, I, I saw that you did. I, I'm definitely, I'm strongly thinking about picking that up. Okay. Uh, ooh, whoops. That was my number six on the list. Whoops. <laughs> so I threw in an extra one. I'm five. sorry. Hold I on. Said we five. said five. <laughs> I said five and I, and I miscounted. Uh, I'm Cheater. sorry. I'm looking at my list on, on Letterboxd and, and I accidentally, I, I was, <laughs> I, I looked one over from where I should have. So technically number five then is California. That's a great one. Yeah. It's a bunny leg is missing is amazing. Uh, yes. number five, uh, a pure cinema pod favorite, um, California Split, which nice. was on, uh, finally made it with its original music and everything like that onto Amazon Prime, uh, and I was finally able to see it. It is really great, really really good movie. Yeah. Um, Robert Altman, Elliot Gould, just good. You know, what more do you want? Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's sort of it, it would be a fun pairing with something like Casino, because it's sort of you know you, you the cause, yeah. Casino you've got you know the people who right. run it. And then this movie, you got the people who are frequenting it, you know. And uh, number four, Paper Moon, uh, Peter Bogdanovich. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Now, my top three are the ones that tie into the episode a little bit. Okay. okay. As I was watching this, as I was watching American Splendor in particular, and then this morning I watched the movie Relic uh, from 2020, and it just kind of got me thinking about things and um i think american splendor is about this too just the idea i i really discovered that movies about about getting older and being sort of forgotten and disregarded have really been speaking to me deeply more recently Mm -hmm. um and that's one of the takeaways i got from this viewing of american splendor and it really got me thinking i started thinking about relic and i started thinking about american Splendor, and then immediately I started thinking about because one of the things in I'm not going to give anything away in Relic that happens is the house that they're in starts getting this mold in it that uh, it's sort of this decay. But there's a moment in my number three movie called The Gleaners and I, uh, Agnes Varda documentary from 2000, where she focuses on this this mold that's in her house, and yeah, she should probably get it fixed. But for some, whatever reason, she decides that she thinks it's kind of beautiful, <laughs> and it's weird to, it's hard to describe. But yeah. but um, the Gleaners and I, I really touched me. On its surface, it's a, it's 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 about the the people who gather food from after a harvest is over, like the leftover food. And in France, this is you know something called gleaning. They go and they gather up all this food that you know, like misshapen potatoes and things that would be tossed out and mm-hmm. use it to feed their families, you know. But um, the movie is ultimately, you know, about people who are disregarded and on the fringes of society and older people in particular. Agnes Varda herself, who, you know, in her older age, you know, was experiencing maybe a little bit of being underappreciated, not seen as relevant anymore. You know, all these sorts of things that that movie is about. And it and it really, really moved me. Number two is Olecki Man, uh, Lindsay Anderson film. It's sort of the sequel to If, um, starring Malcolm McDowell. You haven't seen If, I can tell. Oh, no. I almost got that at the library one day. I know it, okay. though. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
So it's. I almost, I'm gonna have to rent it. It's got a very. Uh, oh, Lucky Man has a very different tone from If. It's sort of this guy who just sort of wanders from situ. It's kind of Forrest Gump except dark. <laughs> you know, just kind of. Ooh, un- I like that. It's kind of unsentimental. He just goes through these various aspects of life, and it's it's a it's an indescribable movie, but it's so good until until I watched my number one on on December thirtieth. <laughs> it was by Just far my favorite movie time. of the year uh, that I had seen. But my number one, I knew I was going to watch this movie, and I wanted to watch it on New Year's Eve, because it takes place on New Year's Eve, but I couldn't wait. And so I decided to go ahead and watch it. I watched Last Night, which is directed and starring uh, Don McKellar. It's a Canadian movie out of 1998. And it's about just this group of people on New Year's... The world is going to end at midnight on New Year's Eve. It sort of has starts out as sort of a, you know, sort of like Magnolia or something like that, where it's different people in these different places during this day and what they're doing with their last day on Earth, their last night on Earth. And they sort of collide into each other in interesting ways. I ended up watching it again on December 31st, and I loved it even more. It is just that idea of making your mark again. What legacy are going to leave i mean in this case the world doesn't isn't even going to exist after this so there's no mark to be left but you know but there's still that idea in it of leaving your mark and having some sort of legacy left behind i love that it is that kind of makes me think of miracle mile too which i haven't seen oh you gotta yeah i want i'm adding this to my queue now what year is it from 1998 got it yeah it's a little bit hard to find. It, well, it's not that hard to find. It's available for rent on Amazon Prime. It's on Netflix DVD. Oh, it is. Okay, yeah. So yeah. the the only edition available was was in SD. There are a couple of movies called Last Night, so yeah, yeah make sure it's the 1998 one uh, from Don McKellar because <laughs> um, the gotcha. there's Get others it. that are called that as well. Um, but it moved. Oh, Sandra Oh, isn't it? Yeah, she, I love Sandra. Oh. Uh huh. She's she's wonderful in it. Um, it's such this, it's this powerful, and, and you think it's going to end one way and it ends up being different and, it, and it's beautiful and it's, it's, it's just perfect. Watching it the second time, I, I loved it twice as much as the first time. Awesome. So those are my uh, five big recommendations, or six, I guess, on accident from... Uh, <laughs> oh gosh, mine? <laughs> yes, please. 2020 for me was actually the year where... I, I honestly didn't watch a whole lot of movies. I think my my number tally dropped like a hundred really? from yeah. from previous years. Um, yeah, I, I I've worked all through the pandemic, and that's been extremely stressful. That most times when I would come home, I, I would just want to watch a TV show I've seen a million times and not have to concentrate on something new. So I didn't get as many new watches in this year as I usually like to do, yeah. um, but still saw, of course, some amazing stuff because there's always something great to discover. Sometimes it's just like super important, big, huge classics that I've never seen. So one of my discoveries was I finally saw All About Eve, oh, which I absolutely so adore. Second of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, that might even come up on an episode. Oh, it's got, got it. some Some stuff that yeah. it, it's saying really kind of struck me. Mm-hmm. And then like the rest of them are just kind of stuff I, I hadn't, I was just, 
catching up on um, Muriel's wedding was a big one. Mm-hmm. That these are the ones that really stuck with me. Are the ones I'm, list- I'm listing here. Yeah, and I, thought, I saw a lot of new good stuff, but the ones that truly stuck with me it was all about Eve, Muriel's wedding. Another movie that I you know totally saw myself yeah. <laughs> in the main character, yeah. and I, you know I'd always heard for years like. Tony Collette, you know, you know, should have won the Oscar for Hereditary, but then everyone else was like, no, Muriel's Wedding! And I had never seen it, so I finally caught up and I was like, I see it, because yeah. she is just everything in that movie. It's, really, really loved that. It is so good. Um, one that you and I both really love. Um, I was a little bit late to the party, but I finally saw Doctor Sleep. Oh, yeah. And that one really got to me in a way, just because one, because it was just like so good and i was so happy knowing mike flanagan i knew he was gonna do a great Mm -hmm. um what's the fucking word adaptation Um, (laughs) adaptation (laughs) of a stephen king uh work as he'd done it before yeah but damn this was just perfect in every way and it's just a bunch yeah a bunch of little stuff Maybe maybe we'll talk about Doctor Sleep. We gotta too, talk about Doctor Sleep. I, I I wrote a I wrote an article about Doctor Sleep that well it was supposed to be about all of The Shining, but it, it ended up being yeah being um one half of it about the first three iterations of The Shining, and then the yeah. other half was about Doctor Sleep, just because it just uh, it checks all my boxes. <laughs> it's so good. Oh yeah, the overall the overall execution mm-hmm. of the story, which admittedly when I read the book when it came out, like I was, I was wondering like, how is this going to look on a screen if they ever adapt this? And yeah. Got Mike Flanagan just, just has the magic to, to make that happen. And to reconcile so, the word um, with the original Kubrick yes. shining is, is pretty miraculous. That became an instant favorite. Another movie that became an instant favorite is a uh, school of rock. <laughs> like oh. we were talking about before, just, uh, Another movie I was very happy to see because it was added to my list of happy movies, basically. A movie that I can I can put on that will just... I mean, it's it's so sweet and, and heartfelt, but it also just puts you in the best, most positive mood. Yeah. And, like, God, you always need something like this. I... I was I was smiling the, this entire movie when I first watched it. It is it is a definition of like pure joy. Yeah, it's it's I love that. <laughs> that movie. is School of Rock. I, I yeah I love that movie. I have a I have a School of Rock poster. <laughs> uh, it's actually nice. I think it's in the same frame as the Magnolia poster behind me. It's just underneath it because I have a lot of posters and so I put multiple right. ones <laughs> under the same frame. Oh man. I adore that movie. Yeah, imagine it, as a, as a, it's got to mean something to you as a music yeah, teacher. As a music teacher, that movie made me cry when I watched it right. uh, oh, just God, a couple yeah. months ago. Because well, I was, you know, I was in that time, you know, when we were out of school and I was missing my students, and and I could see, you know, there's a mm-hmm. character that reminded me of my daughter. Just it just hit me in it. I was a blubbering mess by the time we got to the end of the oh, movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it gets me. It was one of those ones that made me happy cry. Exactly. <laughs> totally. Like, totally. I just love this so much that yeah. I'm crying. Yeah. That, yeah that's totally. what it was for me, too. And um, then the last one, um, again, another uh, Brian Sauer pure cinema favorite was uh, Pump Up the Volume. Oh, good movie. I haven't seen like that in Christian years, Slater. but it's really good. Yeah. Yeah, I had never seen it. I knew it was always like Brian's inspiration mm-hmm. for even creating Just the Dis, and he had such an admiration for it. And, 
oh god when i watched it it just it's such an, an important movie god mm-hmm. and so i'm so happy that it's, it's finally getting a blu-ray yeah. release so i think one archive is yeah they just announced I like, that. but i just fucking i just fucking bought the dvd <laughs> <laughs> which has like this it's just such a weird cover on the dvd too it's got like chinese on it so like i don't know if i got a bootleg or yeah. what happened but i was so happy to finally get it of course not too long after I bought it, it's announced on Blu-ray. But whatever. Of course. It's, that's perfect because more people need to see that this movie if they haven't. I think if you catch up with it any time, it'll be like, it's still totally relevant now. Okay, yeah. Absolutely love that. Those are my top five. I probably have a lot more, but those are the ones I think that stuck with me the most that I watched this year. Yeah, those are great choices. Some I of like. those are like, yeah, we definitely need to work those into the show somewhere because <laughs> those are I so know. good. Yeah. Speaking of working things into the show, what are we going to do next week? Well, do you have any other uh, recommendation? Anything oh, that sure. you watched specifically this week? The, something something that was just a weekly recommendation kind of thing. I, I binged over the past like two weeks. I binged Cobra Kai. Oh, I know. I still need to watch that. It is... Uh, I was completely I'm seeing so many people taken. absolutely loving it. I was completely taken. Okay. I, I was kind of avoiding it because I'm like, eh, okay, you know... But the thing is, it, it, I love about it is it's sort of, because I hate 80s nostalgia stuff, to be honest with you. <laughs> so Cobra Kai was like, oh man, a Karate Kid thing. And I went into it. I love the Karate Kid. It's, it's, it's fine, you know. But then to have sort of an 80s nostalgia show. But the pr- difference is, it sort of tweaks the nose of 80s nostalgia a little bit. Especially in the first two seasons. It's sort of like, you know, he's... Uh, Joe, Johnny Lawrence, the uh, the sensei of Cobra Kai, you know, he's the kid that got beaten by Daniel in the first movie. You know, okay. he um, he's he's sort of still this '80s guy in the 2020 world, and he doesn't really fit in very well. You know, and and it sort of shows that maybe the whole '80s nostalgia thing is a little bit bullshit. You know, to be honest with you. And, and I kind of like that about it. Uh, first two seasons in particular were like, this is amazing. In my opinion, the third season leans a little bit into some sentimentality, gets a little bit corny at times. I see people really respond to that, though. Yeah. Um, and Which I wasn't expecting. I've seen yeah. people be like, this is like kind of emotional. And I, yeah. that makes me really want to see it. Yeah. So, I mean, that's my opinion. I, I So, for me, the third season was just a little, just just the slightest bit lesser than the first two, but it's still great. And I still really enjoyed it. Yeah, so Cobra Kai is pretty rad. <laughs> yeah, I gotta watch that. Yeah. Uh, mine would be, uh, I know this is coming out probably in February, but at the time of recording this, Promising Young Woman from last year, I finally hit VOD. I just want to get people to watch the movie, yeah. at least, because it's it has caused so not I'm not gonna say it's caused controversy. It's there's a lot of different uh, differing opinions. Yeah, it's been a lot of, of conversation. Of it. It's a lot yeah. of conversation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a lot of conversation about what this movie is and whether or not people liked it or they didn't like stuff that it did. The fact that it's sparking this kind of conversation, mm-hmm. I think, is what's making it important to me. And I think everybody at least needs to watch it and form their own opinion. Obviously, with your own mm-hmm. um, experiences or, or non-experiences, you're, you're going to feel a different way about this movie. As a sexual assault survivor, this movie 
kind of spoke to me in some ways. And in other ways, I, I didn't really like what it did. So, you know, there's a lot to chat about. So I just, I just want people to watch it because I think it has, if it's starting these conversations, that means it has something to offer. Yeah. Frankly, I want to watch it and because then we I want to And then we can it. go from there. Yeah. I, I, I want to, I want to watch it because I want to read people's opinions on it, to be honest. I know. That was the big yeah. thing. I kept seeing like all these articles and it's like, I want to read these, but I have to watch the movie. Yeah. Too, so. And, and so, but I, it's hard to watch the movie. Yeah. When I finally did, again, because, yeah, it, it does get very personal. You know, yeah. if you have personal experience with something like what this movie is addressing. And it kind of made me a little bit depressed for a couple of days, not going to lie. Yeah. But it's still worth seeing, worth thinking about, worth talking about. Certainly. and uh, The acting is beautiful. Oh, I'm sure. So. <laughs> I have no doubt about that. And I love the style, love the style of it, the, col- the colors and stuff. At least it's... It's a joy to watch in that way, even if it's not so much a joy with the subject matter. You just have to, if it's, if you think that's something that you can handle watching at the time, I recommend people check it out. Okay. All right. So next episode, we're going to have some fun with this next episode, Brian. Yes, I am. I'm stoked. I, I am too. I am too. Again, we're bringing each other movies that neither of us have seen that we, you know, so that's, yes. that's, that's exciting. The one that I have been. One that I've been like shaming you for not having seen I know, for so long. And but you're finally gonna is, watch it. I'm so excited. The thing <laughs> is, I'm glad that I haven't seen it yet because we can have this conversation sort of yeah. you know, uh, first impression conversation. And that's right. kind of a kind of a fun thing, uh, to be able to do. So who should go first on this? My movie's older. Well the the topic that we're going for, um, something that we both kind of enjoy being horror fans something in that realm we're going to talk about some creature features creature features so how about how about it's one of my favorite it's it definitely is how about you tell us yours first uh mine is the greatest movie of all time (laughs) (laughs) so citizen kane the godfather nothing on this no Uh, okay we're talking about tremors tremors from from 1990. 1990 okay Beautiful new 4K I, release, honestly, right? From Arrow. Yeah, got my new Arrow Blu-ray. Gorgeous. Okay. Yes, I joke when I say that this is like, you'll see what I'm talking about. You'll feel my passion, I think, when we get the chance to talk about I'm Tremors. I'm sure I will. I talk about it hyperbolically that it's like the greatest movie of all time, but it really is. <laughs> to me. <laughs> I love In it. In its way. <laughs> I love it. All right. And your movie is? My movie is the granddaddy of all creature features in its way from yeah that's right well i mean i suppose king kong really is but um this is (laughs) a ripoff of that sort of from 1954 we're going to watch the japanese cut of godzilla uh or gojira this is the one uh not the not the recut version uh with raymond burr this is the one uh from 1954 the japanese cut and uh it's i really like this movie i gotta say um sort of the silliness aspect of godzilla kind of came later um the first movie is is um it's still fun but it's it's genuine you know it it had it 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 looks at some real horror that was happening in the world and, and telling this monster movie using some of those those ideas uh so yeah i'm excited and this is going to be my first 
Godzilla movie. So not only I've ever seen. Not only the first time you've seen this Godzilla movie, but any Godzilla. Movie. Yeah. Okay, so. Uh, so you picked a good one, I guess. Well, best place to start is at the beginning. Yeah, and hey, you get a free copy of the uh, Criterion Edition uh, standalone edition of it out of the deal here because I happened <laughs> to get the big monster Showa edition set. Um, that looks so cool. It's <laughs> it's pretty great. Um, I've I've I haven't. Uh, really broken into it yet though i i've had it for about a year i, I think i watched king kong versus godzilla because i have a uh, sentimental heart towards king kong versus godzilla even though it's really corny <laughs> uh it's it's one of it's one of my it's one of my favorites uh from childhood uh so watching watching the original is going to be again is going to be great i'm excited to see it the section of Film that I have not explored. I, um, we were talking about the King Kong versus Godzilla. Is that what it's called? The new one? The new one is, is Godzilla kind of... versus Kong, I think, is what they're calling Godzilla it. versus Kong. Okay. Yeah, there was stuff on Twitter about how a trailer for that is coming. And that's what kind of dropped the seed for this. Because I was like, I have never seen a Godzilla movie. And you were like, oh, really? <laughs> Here we go. And the thing is, I so, think I had known that I, from, from something you tweeted before, <laughs> and and so I was like, oh okay. And then and then when it when the trailer dropped, or the sort of tease that a trailer was happening in the posters yeah. and stuff, I was I got super excited because <laughs> I, I sort of unironically adore Godzilla movies, <laughs> even though I know I know this one That's is awesome. this one's really really genuinely good. Movie. Um, so I'm very excited about all this. Okay, so we... I think this was good, too. I'm really proud and happy that the conversation that we had today, so... Me, too. And Yeah, this was a good day. Yeah. And I'm, I hope I'm, you all enjoyed it, too. Thank you all so much for listening. And where can we find each other real quick? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I am at Michelle N. Agin. And I'm at Brian D. Kuiper. And you can find the show at Movie Life Pod. All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Bye.